five, four, three, two, one. For sure? Yeah. Live? <laughs> yeah. How magical. How are you, buddy? Dampness. You're a fucking responsible guest. I just want to give you props for that. You took your phone, you shut that bitch off, and you put it aside. Well, it's a big thing for me also just as a comedian in comedy clubs. Like, uh, you start seeing the comedy store become popular, and I started noticing a bunch of chicks in there just looking at their phones nonstop. Mm. And I even put this thing on my phone. It's an app called Moment that tracks how long I'm using it and what I'm using. So if I get over a certain amount, I'm like, I got to fucking put this thing down. That's very smart. We're all monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> fucking looking down at this thing. It's fascinating. The dopamines. I mean... Uh, yeah, I have a 15-year-old son, and nonstop. Yeah, Whitney Cummings was explaining all the like the actual chemical responses that go on. Like you literally do become addicted to that phone. Sure, and there's a lot of good shit on there. Yes, like, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, how many times do you find yourself like about to go to bed and just like hitting refresh? Checking Twitter feeds. Maybe some interesting news stories coming up. Maybe there's something I missed. Let me go check Instagram. Maybe there's a crazy picture that I didn't see. It's okay to miss it. It is okay to miss it. It's totally okay to miss it. I admire what Ari did. He stepped away from the whole fucking smartphone completely. Just had a full conversation with him about it yesterday because I said, you had three things happen that allowed you to completely check out and go on this trip of yours. I go, you have no kids. You have no kids, you have no wife, you have no family. Which no, is dog, great. No, no, cat. no dog, no cat, no fucking nothing. You went in, he moved to New York. I sold him, I sold him, like, sort of gave him all of my fun, uh, furniture because he was moving to New York when I was leaving New York. So I'm like, dude, have all this shit. Oh, uh, that's right. You were there for The Daily Show. There for The Daily Show, and then I took off. I was commuting back and forth because I left my family in L.A., and I took the gig. So on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'd work in New York. And then I'd fucking fly back. Oh, Jesus. It was no. a horrible mistake. Trust we me. We talked about that before you did it. And I was like, man, I don't believe you're doing this. I was killed myself. My back is all fucked up. I was yeah? telling Ka- uh, Callan, like, like and I told him I was a cashew shaped. And oh, you're humping forward? Oh, my God. It's horrible. Like, if I crack my, my whole back, when you're in an airline seat constantly and you're just constantly all stressed out and your sleep is all fucked up, it's mm. not good. So. I got cast in another show. I got the fuck out of there, and I gave Ari all my things. So, But Ari has, like you said, no fish, nothing. And then he has financial freedom because he's got the, you know, the, the show on Comedy Central. He's got a great podcast. He's got all the kind of shit going on. And then he also has this attitude that allows him to do something like that because I don't have – those three things. I mean, the financial freedom I got, but I have these three dependents. I have two dogs, and then I have—I don't have the attitude. Like if I'm not working nonstop, I feel crazy. You should tell people what you're talking about because a lot of people that are tuning into this podcast probably don't realize that our, Ari, our good friend, checked out of civilization for three solid months at least. Right? I think maybe more. First of all, he's rocking a flip phone. He won't. Yeah. He doesn't have any apps, so he doesn't. Um, he he has no smartphone, but then he just decides to go away and check out. He, no one's communicated with him. You know, we're sort of in business together on this all things comedy thing, and he's on our board of directors. And I need to tell him about shit. And didn't even bother. Like he, we did a Skype, and he's like, "I'm gone." <laughs> and then people on his show. The Comedy Central show, um, they're trying to get a hold of him. Nobody can get fucking a hold of Var. <laughs> and he loves it. And me, if I seriously, I had to buy books. Like, you know, uh, I read a lot of Jack Reacher. 
I read a lot. Do you really? Yeah. Do you know that, that best character of all time? Yeah? Yeah. Six foot four, 240 pounds. I know Tom. people associated with the Tom Cruise movie, but it's like this guy is the most badass. He's a military cop. Yeah. How is Tom Cruise, the little tiny dude? He just optioned the movies. Like, that's is that what happened? My uncle Skip Tarantino came up to me. I didn't even know anything about Jack Reacher and my brother's wedding. And he walks up and he goes, can you believe they made Tom Cruise Jack Reacher? And I go, what are you talking about? That's a problem? And he broke the whole thing down. He goes, let me tell you something about Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is six foot four. Jack Reacher is like this total badass. He's, a, he's an expert marksman. He's uh, 10 steps ahead. He's a big numbers guy. This guy, Lee Child, created the perfect character. But, so I read all those books, but I have to force myself to read those books so I can chill the fuck out. Because, again, and this is something that... Um, people of other comics have pointed out, I can't be alone with my own thoughts. Why is that? I don't know. Uh, because I've had some crazy shit happen lately. Uh, Dad passed away. Um, a lot of comics have passed away. I have friends with a ton of comedians. that have. Freddie Soto was mm. one of my good, good buddies. He's gone. The buddy, dude I started comedy with passed away early on. So um, I, you and Freddie Soto passed me, you know, got me sponsored at the comedy store. Yeah. And um, I was very close to him. Like me and Sebastian were his openers. And so I think that might have something to do with it. It's like I'm trying to, it's a lot of great stuff happening, but I feel like I distract myself with work. So I just keep busy as fuck. Uh, do you enjoy work? I love it. I love the satisfaction of, um, I don't know, like uh, making stuff. And having people, you know, enjoy it. So you feel like I mean, it seems like you love doing stand up. When I see you at the store and you're going up, looks like you're having a great time. Oh, I just have a great time hanging out with other comics. I love the comedy store. I love what the comedy store is. I love what it always has been. I love how it's had this resurgence. I love the fact that they don't let everybody in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that great? It is great. There's is a there... lot of people that are trying to get in there and they're like, Nah, we're good. Yeah. And there's a lot of comics that you think are Great com Mitzi had a weird thing, like she didn't pass Louie. Like that's that's crazy. And yeah. then there was gatekeeper Tommy there for a while who wouldn't pass, like was holding a torch for Mitzi and what her you know, when he had a weird thing with black guys. Like he's like <laughs> he was not the the best dude. But now this Adam Agan <laughs> is coming. I'm being so he polite. Did a weird thing with black guys, I <laughs> yeah. guess. So oh. but then I love the mm. fact that like me and you got to hang out at that back bar like that they made that for us yeah it was really fucking that's smart. within the last two years they made this if you guys don't know what we're talking about they they made this video room that was just a room in the back behind the kitchen and they said the comics love hanging out here let's create a special little back bar for just for the comedians and their friends and uh we get to have conversations in there and you had some weird thing somebody told me the other night when i was in there like Fucking some chick was in here taking pictures. No, she was filming. Oh, yeah, you she can't was do filming that. Uh, um, Santino and I having a conversation, and Brian Redband caught her filming. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah. See, that's the like, place where you, you can't do that. But like, other... it's a private bar. Yeah, like you're not even supposed to be back there unless you're a comic or a friend of a comic. Exactly. So, and that's great for us because you know, not we like. I, I enjoy talking to people as much, but sometimes it just gets overwhelming, and then also. I want to have a conversation with you or any of my friends. A real one. Yeah, a normal conversation where yeah. you can talk at length to somebody and you can't do that. And it's like you're getting interrupted nonstop. Uh, which is, again, 
happy to I'm still the type of guy after shows I'll go out say hello to everybody talk you know and uh, but when all my friends are around that's one of the great parts about the comedy store and again another part about the comedy store is that you had to get passed you had to be a paid regular and, yeah yeah Love yeah, it. it is also the, there's like there's a bunch of hot spots there where you you get stuck, like if you're trying to do your set and you're leaving the back bar and you're trying to get to the OR and you're going through that hallway, you'll just get stuck by people with cameras. They just want to take pictures. They just wait. They're just waiting like owls, ready to swoop down and snatch a rabbit. They're just waiting, yeah. waiting, waiting. There's Al's magical. <laughs> And just, Al, can I get a picture? Can I get a picture, Al? And you're like, I got to do my set. And you're like, literally walk on say, just real quick, just real quick. Like, walking to the stairs, I've seen it. Yeah. It's like, fucking Christ. But it really is, well, it's the, uh, the Comedy Cellar in New York and the Comedy Store in Los Angeles are the best comedy clubs in the country. And if you're a comedy fan listening to this and you, you are got to make the trip. Yeah. You really do. Because it's worth it. And on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, you're going to see an amazing show. Yeah. That could be in a stadium. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean some of the the show, some of the lineups. Like you guys have a show there next Wednesday. All things comedy. It's um, you, Burr, Kreischer. Who yeah. else is on? No, I'm I'm actually not even on because I need to go to Mexico. Oh, but uh, <laughs> okay. No, it's it's Bert and Bill, and then you know a couple other ATC comics that you're not going to see. But the last one we did, you did, and then Sarah Silverman was on it. Yeah. And it was so it was you, Sarah Silverman. Eddie Pepitone, like this great mix. I think Burr was on that one. Yeah. Yeah. They're insane. Yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, it was, it's, it's a great, great place to hang out. And so I love that, and I love doing stand-up, and I love, like, hanging out with my friends, and uh, that's a huge part of it But me. you feel like you're distracting yourself with work. I brought something. You made a great point the other night, because we were talking about having an assistant. You go, I don't want to be busy enough to have an assistant. Like, yeah. I don't want to be that busy. When I get to assistant level and I start thinking about assistant, you take it down. Well, that's my manager. They came up to me and they said, we think you should get an assistant. I said, I'll, I'll definitely start doing less shit. I go, let's just stop doing whatever I'm doing that I'm doing too much that I need an assistant. Just stop. And they're like, well, sometimes it's hard to get a hold of you. I go, well, that's on purpose. Yeah. Like, do you understand that? Like, like Bill Murray has a 1-800 number. Because, does he? Yeah. <laughs> if you want to get a hold of Bill Murray, you, you get the 1-800 number, and then maybe he'll call you back. Really? Yep. So you, people leave messages on the 1-800 number or something? Yeah. Wow. If you're, I mean, if you're calling about him being in a major motion picture, that's how you get a hold of Bill Murray. <laughs> well, Bill Murray apparently checked out of relationships a few years ago. He said, no more relationships. I don't want a girlfriend. I don't want a wife. I'm done. He has a kid, I guess, apparently. He's got an older kid. Yeah. Checked out, and he moved to, like, North Carolina or South Carolina, like one of those fucking places. And uh, Anthony Bourdain interviewed him on his show. You know, he had him on the show. And he's like, what are you doing down here? And he's like, I love it. It's great. The people golf. are nice. Yeah. And he also, for a while, was living in upstate New York, like up the Hudson. He would live up there. Same sort of deal. Just, just I'm done. Like, I'm just going to live in weird spots and uh, yeah. by myself. So that's another reason why I'm working my ass off is I want that I'm done fuck you money mm. and I want to be able to chill out. I got kids on the back end of this thing where they're almost out of the house. Like I'm looking forward to that where they're both going to be in college. Right. I'm trying to get these little fuckers ready for life to the point where they don't need to come back because you hear a lot of people are living in their homes with their parents until they're 30. And later, what the fuck is that about? Not acceptable. I'm going to push you out the door. I know someone is 36. Not good. 
Yeah, what? Well, it's, they're making life is too good, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's too easy. Yeah, there's no... I was listening to Dr. Drew talk about this on uh, Howard Stern wrap-up show, and he was saying, like, kids don't have grit. Mm, grit. Kids need fucking grit. Oh, associate <laughs> Dr. Drew with grit. Well, it's just, you know, he knows about... Uh, you know, hustle, hustle, and he goes. My kids are coddled, but he thinks the only thing is the educational system. Pushing education makes somebody work their ass off. If you don't have that inner drive, mm-hmm. and a reason like, you know, getting with me, and this was where also, you know, if you, I, I don't see a therapist, I probably should because I got a lot of shit going <laughs> on. But fucking, my mom um, was cleaning houses, making six dollars an hour. My dad, teamster warehouse foreman and uh they you know were poor growing up lower middle class and then went to the school he sent me to school in san francisco with all these rich kids so i was in all these rich houses and houses in uh if people know san francisco pacific heights is really nice mm. and it's old now it's like fucking 12 million dollar houses and that's where we were hanging out yeah parents would abandon them on the weekends and we'd have run of these fucking houses, just crazy. Like my buddy broke a twenty five thousand dollar vase. We're like, let's get the fuck out of here. What oh, the fuck no. are they gonna make us pay for it? And we were in all these. I was like smoking some guy's Cubans on sitting in his chair. <laughs> and so I'm I'm a kid from the inner sunset district who shouldn't be in all these places. But I think that's what lit a fire under my ass because and I'm working for the. My mom eventually has this great rags to riches story where. She was working at this company, and then she became an account rep, and then she became the head account rep, then she became the vice president, then she bought the company and quadrupled the company in size. Wow. And that's where I went to work for her, even though I wanted to be a stand-up comic. I go to work for her. I am firing people for a living, which is a whole other fucking thing. And just uh, I really was forced into this very tough. My dad and my mom were very fucking brutal. Half Mexican, half Sicilian. That's what I am. And then uh, my mom, Sicilian, like just the youngest uh, sister in a, with all boys in the family. Just a brutal lady who's like, <laughs> says, like can't tell me how many t- I tell you how many times she said like fuck them, just fuck them. <laughs> like okay, they're gonna con- you know just a client giving her shit. Like no no no, fuck them, and they don't appreciate me. Fuck you. It's like, so was like that with us. And then my dad, same thing. They found each other for a reason because they both have that attitude. And so I was working there and then I was supposed to be this eldest son taking over this family business. So when I met you in 1999, you came up to my apartment, which was in Telegraph Hill. It was a nice fucking apartment. I'm like the opener with a great place. And I lived, I had a wet bar. Remember when he yeah, came? Yeah, you had a cool yeah. spot. Yeah, we smoked pot and watched old Oprahs. Old Oprahs with she had big hair. Huge hair, no work done at all. No. Just old Oprah. And we were just <laughs> baked watching fucking old Oprah. I hadn't even met I like I had just met my wife at that point. And so this is yes, yeah, it's, it's nineteen ninety nine. And um I was working a regular job. So I would do shows on the weekend, host at Cobbs or the punchline and go right back to work. And at one point, I think I remember the world started to collide. Like I'm doing stand-up and I look out and everybody's laughing except like three dudes with their arms crossed. I'm like, oh, shit. I fired those fucking guys. <gasps> yeah, yeah, all the time. 
dudes that you fired were sitting in the audience Stro- upset at you? Yeah. Started to make it into stand. Like, Did oh. they go to see you? No. I don't they think nobody, happened nobody to be found there. me. Yeah. Oh, wow. They must have been fucking steaming. Yeah. Just like, fuck that guy. Everybody's laughing. I'm like having a good set and look at just one dude fucking scowling Whoa. at me. So <laughs> How creepy was that? Did it mind fuck you? Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> no, but I, I had such a good attitude at that point. I was like, hey, fellas, how are you? Yeah, it's a little weird, huh? Did you talk about it? Yeah. Oh, Jesus well, Christ. Well, I, I definitely acknowledged them and said hello. Like, I knew their names. And, uh, but you didn't say, like, hey, I fired you no, guys. No, no, no. That would have no, been hilarious. I didn't out them talking to everybody in the entire room, uh, which I probably would do now. <laughs> so not experienced enough to handle it. When I met you, how long had you been doing stand-up? A year. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I just said uh, my 19th anniversary was fucking on uh, Tuesday. Wow. That's crazy. First Tuesday in May, we did my first set. Went up in front of like half homeless people in San Francisco. At Cobbs? No, at this place called the Luggage Store, which was on Market Street. Wow. Just tenderloin, full tenderloin. Walked up. I worked with you the first time I did the old Cobbs. Yeah. That place was great. We got matched up because it was Tom Sawyer. He used to yeah. like to like, he like would make matches of, he really pri- was, uh, he would pride himself in creating lineups that people would like, people would go together. Yeah. And let me just tell you something. It worked once with you. <laughs> That's it. All the other times were a fucking disaster. I know, because He's... I heard about it afterwards. Like even when I was up there, because I'd find him I'm like, hey, what's up? And he was like, who the fuck is this guy? Like you were just totally fucking, yeah, he put me with this fucking asshole. Oh, yeah. Yep. He put me with some, uh, you know, there's some people that you think have potential and then they just don't. You know, we've all, we met guys like that. I mean, there's a few guys that I could, used to I, come I up with. Them. Used to come, but I opened for you. It was Matty Kirsch. Yeah. Right? Sure. And, and then Eddie Bravo fucking came up. Well, he'd come to hang. To he hang. No, he was yeah. doing any stand-up, but he was like, uh, totally come to hang. And then, um, I think it was down here that I met Brian, and then Brian started going around with you super early on. Yeah, that was when yeah, I was down here in like 2004. Ari and Duncan, but that was the new cops. That was once they started moving to the yeah. new spot. In the old one, I think it was just Matt. Yeah, Matty Kirsch. Yeah, early days. Like, Matty Kirsch stopped doing stand-up for a long time. I think he's done. I think he just completely stopped. He stopped. He started doing TV stuff. He stopped doing stand-up, and then he went back to it again, but I never saw him. You know, I think he's done. Yeah, I don't think you can dick around with that. I was with um, me and my buddies were watching Tim Allen come back. <laughs> yep. And you know what I did? What? I mean, he was such a nice guy. And like he watched, you know, he watched my set and came up, said a bunch of stuff afterwards. He was super cool to me. And it was so rough watching that set. This was like, he made all these Santa Claus movies and he made Home yeah. Improvement and all this shit. And me and Kevin Christie sat in the balcony and I said, you know what? Let's do something for this guy. And we wrote him nine pages of jokes and fucking just, hand, I just, I go, here you go. And handed them to him. Really? And he goes, thank you. Oh my God. And then we came back the next night and he did a bunch of the shit and got an applause break on one of my bits. Wow. And I was like, it felt so That's good. That's so cool. That's, I saw him one night at the comedy store when he hadn't done stand up in forever. And he came back and he was doing a joke about his Ferrari breaking down. Yeah. A lot of and stuff. And I wanted to people pull him aside and go, it. listen, man, <laughs> don't do that ever. Just don't do that. I don't care if it's about a Ferrari breaking down. Don't tell everybody you have a $250,000 car. Well, that's a big George Carlin thing is that when he got so wealthy 
and he had people going to the post office for him. He's like, I can't do the post office bit now because I don't even go to the fucking post office and I can't talk about the bank because I never go to the bank for myself. And that's uh, like, uh, you got to do all your own shit and you yeah. have to stay relatable. It goes the other way too. I was in New York and when I was out there and a comic goes up and he was like, he goes, you know what you're doing, Angel Dust? And I'm like, nobody knows. Nobody knows what you're doing, fucking Angel Dust. What are you talking about? Like, but talk about a niche audience. Yeah, totally. So, you know, stand-up, like, Matt jumped out, and it's like, I don't think you can jump out. Like, it's one of those things where- Well, you can, but goddamn, you love it. Like, Dana Gould jumped out for a long time and wrote for The Simpsons, and yeah. then he came back. You can do it. But, you know, arguably Dana Gould should have been a huge superstar. As yeah. a stand-up comedian. He was in a San Francisco guy who was like, I listened to, if you guys don't know who that comic is, I mean, again, go find it because so good, so many voices, so many characters, so smart stories, like... Well, I met him in Boston in 88. Holy shit. And he was already big then. Like, he was a headliner then. And uh, doing really well. He and was like Rodney Dangerfield, young comedian special, big, right? Like he was. He was a. He had a Showtime special. I remember that. He had a Showtime special before I moved to L.A. because I remember watching it, and uh, it was really interesting. It was like the way he did it was like kind of unique. The way he shot it was unique, and it was good. It was really good. And I was like, this guy is going to be giant. And I figured it was going to be like from there, HBO specials, from there, giant theaters, from there. You know, he was going to go the Brian Regan route, you know, where he's selling out all over these places. Sure. But it just. He married the woman who became, ended up becoming the president of HBO. That ain't good. <laughs> Can't do that. Only, I have another thing <laughs> one headshot per household. <laughs> Yes. Dude, if you see like two, I think Tom Segura and Christina are the, like, the ones that can pull it off too. The or, only ones. Yeah. I've not seen anyone else do this successfully. And I'm still standing back like this on that one. Like, well, okay, this same. might blow up. <laughs> yeah, totally. You got this? You got it? All right. Yeah. I'm over here. Well, <laughs> there was a kid on The Daily Show that him and his wife auditioned for The Daily Show at the same time, and he got it, and she didn't. Oh, yep. Super that must weird. have been a fun time in that house. Not good. Not good at all. Like somebody starts becoming super popular, and then the other person is like, yeah. oh, what do I do? Do I Resentment. pull a Matt Kirsch? Do yeah. I jump out now or find other work? Yeah. And that's also been a difficult thing with me. So back to what we were talking about. It's like, so now I leave this parent's family business, and I come to L.A. I could have, again, I could have been up there and miserable, fucking with you know firing people nonstop and like taking on other people's problems because that's what i did is like if you have a business or you work somewhere we'd employ everybody working there so you didn't have to deal with any of the headaches but then i got all the headaches so i've been chased like uh, i had a guy who was a taiwanese like he was sick this bad he was working in a doctor's office but on the weekends we found out he was pretending he was the doctor <laughs> so he was seeing patients booking his own patients but what? he was a physical therapist in an um, orthopedist office so I go in there and I've been doing this a while and again I've like been in so many awkward situations now I'm doing stand up and I'm even in more awkward situations and I just go up and I go hey Twan you know jig is up <laughs> I go today's your last day we found out what you're doing he grabs me puts me up against the wall he gets one of those physical therapy sticks, you know, the, the big, like the pole that you uh -huh. used to stretch with behind your back and stuff. And he has one of those cut in half and he sticks it right up to my throat. And, and I'm cool. And so I go, Tuan, I got, you got two choices here. 
you're going to hit me with that stick, and I'm going to call the cops, and I'm going to press charges, and you're going to go to jail. Because I'm going to be pissed that you hit me with that fucking stick. Or you can take the final check that's in my breast pocket right here and walk away. What's it going to be? And I'm held up against the wall by my throat with the fucking stick wow. in my face. And so had some crazy situations. So I was what did you say to him? You said the jig is up. <laughs> yeah, I know you're yeah, not a real well, doctor. <laughs> yeah, I go, hey, how you doing? You shouldn't be here right now. But what, what we was know you're his seeing, response? No, this is not true. This is, you know, like in just like you're going to get. He barely spoke English? Yeah. He's, oh, just, like, he's a physical therapist. Was he yeah. banging chicks too? I have no idea. I would yeah. like it to be that way. Yeah, we should him. <laughs> yeah, it's a better story if There's he is. There's a way to heal you. It's to <laughs> yeah, your vagina. Use yeah. my cock. <laughs> so I had Russian nurses running from me and just crazy stories. Like, Why, um, what were they trying to do to you? Uh, well, this Russian nurse was in an allergist office and she was giving wrong doses to the like kids and stuff of shots. Oh, Jesus. So I had all my documentation, like these yellow pads I go... There's, um, you can see right here, I'm 22 years old. You can see right here that she tries to grab it. Now it's a tug of war across a desk, and I don't know what the fuck is going on. And um, she takes off and runs down a hallway. And I'm 22, and I go, shit, I fucking run down the hallway after her. And she goes into a patient room, and then she locks the door. And then I get the door open, and I see somebody unlock it, and she's in there, and she's talking to her husband on the phone. She goes, Andrew, there is a man here who's telling me lies. He's telling me lies, Andrew. <laughs> And I didn't want to tell you this, but I am pregnant, and I'm going to lose the baby because of this man. Like that, I'm going, huh, huh. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, totally. Freaking out. Oh, my God. So I, I had to teach, teach a bunch of Vietnamese people how to shit. There was one day I got a, wait. a, a call. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> I got a call from this guy. What was guy. the issue? Well, they were Hmong's. Okay. You know, Hmong is like yeah. this. If you saw Gran Torino, that movie with Clint Eastwood. I think the H is silent. I think yeah, it's Hmong's. Yeah, yeah, you're right. The uh, yeah. H-M-O-U-N-G, is it? Yeah. And then there are people without a land. Yeah. And then they all came to San Jose, California to work in assembly plants. So they're in this cable assembly plant, uh, plant called Cable Co. That was a big client of ours. And I got a call from this really cool guy. His name was Chip. Chip Bronk, and he goes, Al, you got to get down here. You're not going to fucking believe it. And I got a situation. And I go, what is it? And he goes, better you see. <laughs> <laughs> and I go into the bathroom, shit everywhere. What? Because they had never been used to toilets. So they were standing on the toilet seats. I found out that's what was going on. They all had fake names. Like, uh, the name is Fook Lee, but you can call me Keith. Shit like that. So I was like, hey, Keith, Flukely, can you come here for a second? Can I talk so to you about this? So where was the shit? Everywhere. Like on the ground? Yeah, they were missing. Because <laughs> <laughs> the toilet seat is not meant to fucking hold you up. So they're waddling up there. So they were standing on the toilet standing seat. Standing on the toilet seat. So they were just used to like shitting in they're holes? shitting in holes. Oh, my God. If they're lucky, you know, in the woods or whatever. So oh, used, Jesus yeah. Christ. So if they're <laughs> lucky. If they're not lucky, what, they hold it forever? Yeah. So, yeah, just backed up. It becomes a brick. Yeah. So, um, anyway, <sighs> I gathered everybody around. I just appointed a bathroom monitor. Oh, my that, God. A bathroom every, monitor? So I had one of the guys who was a supervisor. I had a clipboard. I put a lock on the bathroom door. And then, so you become this corporate fixer. That's what I was doing. And wow. I always wanted to do stand-up comedy. I love stand-up comedy. I grew up in the city with just listening to comedians on the radio and all the great comics. There was two comics who lived on my block, and so I love Who lived on your block? Mike Pritchard and Michael Meehan, two great comics. Mike Pritchard won the first San Francisco comedy competition 
And Robin Williams looked up to him. He was like Robin Williams wow. was that was his idol. And he was on my block. And you know Monty Hoffman? Yeah. Monty Hoffman, I would be eight years old on my bike, and I would ride down the block, and Monty Hoffman and Mike Pritchard used to put their T-shirts over their heads. You know how you can do it? Like mm-hmm. just the, the whole, you know, face pops out of the hole. And they used to pretend they were the California raising guys. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, these guys are hilarious. This is amazing. And they lived on your block. On my block. And wow. I remember... Where's Pritchard now? I think he's a motivational speaker still up in the Bay Area lives in Marin. He came to the last night at Cobb's Comedy Club in that little spot. Why, he stopped doing stand-up? He just speaks. Wow, weird. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, that's another tempting thing for me, too, is because I do a ton of corporate stand-up. Mm-hmm. I get, you can get paid, you know, five figures to deep five figures to speak at 3.30 p.m. and do stand-up at a thing. And, you know, if you're stand-up career like you're in a good amazing spot because people come to see you like i'm still at the stage where i go out and 40 percent of the people there come to see me and it's a weird cross-section of people who love stand-up or you know heard me you know heard me on bert's podcast or your podcast you know whatever and then it's a weird cross-section of daily show people and then sitcom people and then you know what i mean it's like this weird crowd coming together and then it's um, it's people who like comedy. It's that Stanhope bit. Right. People, how many people came here to see me? And <laughs> right. And how many people came here to see comedy? Yeah. And he's like, music isn't like that. And so, for me to do a corporate gig and pay get paid a, a gazillion, you know, like a lot of money, is fucking tempting to switch right. over to that side. So I could see why people do that. Well, that's what Jay Leno did. He just gets paid two hundred fifty grand. That's why he doesn't put out any content. Jay Leno doesn't have the same act. He has no. He has no like body of work. Like he had a Showtime special that he did, that I saw in the nineties, and I'm pretty sure, other than his Tonight Show monologues, which of course is numerous, I think that's the last stand up that he ever put out, as far as like a like a full act. Talk to him about it. Yeah, well, he's got a weird philosophy about it. I did random, randomly got a phone call to present him with his Mark Twain Award at the Kennedy Center. Oh, wow. It was me, fucking Seinfeld, Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, um, all like crazy people. It's, you know, uh, Wanda Sykes, you know, and I had no business being there. Chelsea Handler was there, whatever. Just like a, all stars. And I'd never met him before. And I think they just wanted to color it up. But I'm going to say yes because it's fucking Kennedy Center and super, super cool. And uh, I go there and I meet him for the first time. And then my act was, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like you have $250 million or something like that. And you still, every Sunday, you go to the Comedy Magic Club. You don't turn over your act. You got separate comedy money and TV money and yeah. you know, this car collection. I go, what? What do you, what? <laughs> like, just chill out, man. Yeah. And uh, I go, you give me the fucking $4 million, you never see me again. <laughs> and he goes, sold. I got it from the balcony. <laughs> and then we had a long conversation about it afterwards, which was super weird, and talked about it. And it's that exact same thing that you just discussed is that he has an act that he wants to keep doing. And if it never appears on TV, you got to go see him to see it. Yeah, and so but people get mad when they see him twice. Oh yeah, like uh, he was in Edmonton. He did the River Cree, 
and then he did it again a year later, and he did the same act, and uh, the people there were mad. Well, that's just... I mean, yeah. for for those old school guys, that's how you did it. I mean, it's not no knock against him. That's how everybody did it. it Catskills guys yep. and vaudeville guys, they, all those guys would do the same act for ten years, and it was also you could do other people's acts. Yes. Right. Yeah. They just did. They yep. did that. You know, there and was they no were social media when the um, Abbott and Costello did Who's on First. On TV, 20 other guys were pissed because they also did that exact same bit. Really? Yep. And they're like, thanks a lot, fellas. I could never fucking do that thing again. So who's on first wasn't an Abin Costello original? Nope. Whoa. There were fucking t- there were 20 other duets doing that exact same fucking material. Wow. Yeah. So now it's completely, so Jay Leno, of course, is carrying that to Trish, you're, you're pissed. When I started in San Francisco... There's this great guy, Jimmy Cornette, who ran the uh, punchline. We were talking about other people coming through and not changing their act. And he goes, dude, you need a new 20 minutes at least every time you come through here. People are going to be pissed. They want to see the hits. And that's what Bobby Slayton would say. We go see the Stones. You want to see brown sugar. But you got to mix in some fucking new shit every once in a while too with comics know? I feel like they less want to see the hits more than anything like with music like they actually just want to see the hits like if yeah. you go to see the Stones they don't want to hear any new Stones new shit stuff. stop that yeah I want satisfaction yeah but if you go to see Burr you want to see all his new stuff yeah you're familiar yeah. with his stuff if you saw his last Netflix special exactly yeah yeah it's interesting so but that... it keeps you creative it keeps you fresh you have to constantly be hustling totally yeah, it's um, that's what I would say when I saw you the other uh, night when you did that ATC show, you had that fucking no vagina bit, which is <laughs> fucking good. That was Thanks, good. man. No, Thanks. that was because again, and that's another thing. It's like you grow up in San Francisco when you become like you see guys coming through, and I watched. I went to see everybody, so I lived in between Cobb's and the Punchline. And that's where I did. If you you know Outliers, ten thousand hours. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I walked to the Cobb's. I yeah. know for I did this for maybe 13 months straight almost every single night. I walked to Cobbs, then I'd walk to the punchline and I mm. saw every single act. I saw Damon Wayans, Carlos Mencia, uh, Scott, you know, from the Kids in the Hall, what's his face, Scott uh, Thompson. Yeah. I said, just anybody who would come through, I'd go see. I could see every single night. And I watched the good ones and I took something from everybody. But then I started to watch people come through a second time and not change anything. Yeah. I started to watch features that were better than the headliner and mm-hmm. the feature, you know, the conversation over in the corner and fucking just watching it all. And I just, again, you see what, you know, people are doing and how much work people put into this. It's a tremendous amount of work. But to do the bits also, and that's another thing, is like um, San Francisco, you, they wouldn't put hacky comics up. Right. They wouldn't get to play there. Right. Sawyer wouldn't fucking work you. Yeah. He just wouldn't. For good reason. Yeah. And I, I really appreciate that about him. It's one of the reasons why I was willing to go back and do his club so many times. Yeah. So, again, that's when you come to L.A., you're like, what the fuck is there's, going on? There's some of that. Like what we were talking about, we don't need to name any names with that one person who just memorizes a bunch of shit and says it fast. And then you're like, okay, what What are you doing? You're you're ruining the night. There's like, a lot of tricks. Yeah, tricks. You're saying a bunch of pop culture references and a bunch of shit. But there's no like, you know, 
so hard to be judgmental about someone else's craft or art, but there's times when you know whether someone or not is actually trying to work something out or whether they're trying to trick the audience. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff you guys that you can do to elicit laughter. Yeah. Uh, you can memorize a huge string. It's called, yeah, it's a string yeah. where you can just fucking rattle some And you get off. done and then they applaud. And, oh my God, a big applause break. <laughs> did you hear what I did? Did I tell you what I did after? I'm fucking such What'd you an do? asshole sometimes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to be like this, you guys. I just want to read Jack Reacher on my deck and fucking chill out. And I bought that FJ62 Land Cruiser. And yeah. I want to fucking just, I want to get a little trailer behind that. I want to go to Big Sur with my wife. Just go chill out by the just ocean. Just chill out. Yeah. I want to be that guy. But I, you're not. But I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I'm not. I really want to be. But anyway, I followed that yeah. one comic we're talking about. And I walked out and I go, how about it? I go, name. I go, what was that last applause break all about? Did she offer to donate some money to charity? <laughs> <laughs> like, just for, no reason I shouldn't have done it just yeah. like, you shouldn't talk shit well I, I do the only lot. time you should talk shit is when someone's doing something negative like stealing yeah you know I mean we've all been there before where you see someone go up and you go okay that's not even your act yeah 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 yeah. Like, you that's just happens yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, less now than ever before don't you think this is like the cleanest time for comedy, as far as like... You still hear little stories pop up here and there, but I think it's also now it's like subjective and there's a lot, there's so much stand-up. I was talking about like, I have this hour special coming out um, this weekend on Showtime and I was thinking, talking to somebody about it and there's a special coming out like every fucking two days. Yeah, they're not that special anymore. They're not. <laughs> but it's a great time for content. Like if you want to see comedy... Like, you go on Netflix or Showtime or CISO or any of these different uh, providers. Dude, God. CISO. Yeah. Fucking Stan, that Stanhope special. And I watched the, and mentioned this, I go, the Doug Stanhope special on CISO, if you have not seen this, I feel like is one of the best things I've ever seen. And I walked in to the comedy club and I saw Punchline for the very first time. And I saw Arge Barker on stage kill. Just, he's a great comic. He's just fucking murdered. And I had the same feeling that when I watched that Doug Stanhope special. Oh. Just. I haven't seen it. I need oh, to see it. Oh, my God. The bits really? just, again. And it's like next level shit that I uh. hope people can really appreciate the callbacks and the intricacies of this whole thing. Mm. And the story and somebody who's working on something and saying something. like. But Doug did two of them in his hometown. Right? Yeah, Bisbee, he did yeah. them both in Bisbee, right? Yeah, this is one that was shot in Bisbee by uh, Hennigan. You know, yeah. The, it's, I just love the fact that he's doing that. Like, we talked about it a couple of years ago. Was, I can't work in my town. I got to fucking see these people at the Safeway. Yeah. And then apparently he just said, fuck it. Why not? Why can't I do it in my town? And then eventually his town stopped being the town it was and there's a bunch of people who moved there because they no know way. Doug lives there. What? Oh, dude. First of all, he's a real estate mogul. He but every house that c comes up, they're all like thirty thousand dollars. He just buys, he buys it. He's just buying houses, so he owns like I think he owns six or seven houses in town. This is Not turning into a Jack Reacher novel, yeah. where he's going to own the town. Fuck, dude! If I got divorced, I'd fu I'd seriously consider moving there. There's already a house I'm looking at. It's a cave. 
No way. See, yeah, house in a cave? When yeah, I was... it's built into a cave. Oh, yeah. 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 Should, yeah. Like, now I can't buy it because people know. They show up at my door. Dude, let's do DMT. Let yeah. me in your cave. But uh, he, uh, so many people moved to, he used to give out his address and say, come to my Super Bowl party. So people would come from all over the world to his fucking Super Bowl party. And it was ridiculous. It'd be 500 people that he didn't know at his house for his Super Bowl party. Crazy. So, he stopped doing that. He but, rescinded that inf invitation. That's what me and Bert were talking about is doing a, a thing called a caravan comedy tour and getting a bunch of RVs and our trucks and trailers and just going a bunch of guys. Because also it's like, it, it's a special kind of comic and you're, you're one of those comics. It's like you have, you have kids, you have a family, you have a life, you have stuff outside of stand-up, you know, it's like to get those guys together. And Bert is one of those, you know, where it's like you have a couple kids and like get the kids and the wives. It takes a lot to be a comedian wife. Right. And they all have that in common. So they all, I'm sure everyone would get along great because they have to deal with fucking us. And so the wives and the kids, everybody in RV, and then we all go out and do shows. And then everybody gets to go to the Grand Canyon the next day. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad idea. It's not a bad idea. I'm uh, like, in. I'm yeah. in. Let's do it. I think it. Duncan, we talked about uh, Duncan. He doesn't have any kids. I know, but he's, he's got a dog. Be, he'll be, still be fun on the road. They're yeah, looking he'd at be great RVs. On the road. Yeah. That's a great idea, man. So, uh, you know, I, I just wanted an excuse to buy one of those Airstreams. Totally. I just think they look badass. Well, you I could pull it behind your FJ62. Oh, my God. <gasps> yep. Don't think I haven't been. I got, a, I got <laughs> business cards. I'm looking at, there's a place called Off the Grid Rentals. And just to test out, but it's too small. It's like this teardrop. It's a four by four teardrop, yeah, and you those. can put a rooftop tent on top, and it has a ladder that goes up. Yeah, and then I could just have everybody. I'm thinking I want a little bit more. So a real been, one. Well, I've been going to the difference is Sportsmobile. If you go to Sportsmobile.com, which is fucking, they've been doing it for a long time. But you can get one of those Dodge Sprinter vans, a diesel like tricked oh. out. Yeah, and get that four by four out and just go, and then you could still tow some stuff. So. Well, there's this company called oh, fuck. What is the company called? There's an expedition vehicle that they take, and they take like a Ford F two fifty. And then they put this thing on top of the roof, yep. like the like above the front cab. It goes up and then back. No, and the exactly. Whole what you're thing. About. Yeah. It's got solar power and a generator, and you can live in those fucking yeah. things. It's all like the rock. Uh, there's the rock climber guys. You like live look in at the that vans. fucking thing. Yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh my God! I'm in love. Isn't look that at awesome? a rooftop tent. Yeah, and a giant. Well, they do that too. They take vans, and there's a company called U Joint Off Road. They take a van like that, they remove the natural suspension or the suspension that comes with it, and put a full-on dual oh, solid axle four-wheel drive suspension set up in it, uh -huh. and you could just drive that motherfucker Go over the moon. Go to sportsmobile.com and take a look at this now, because this is what they used to do, and they're still doing with some of these, the, the vans will do this with Chevy wow, vans. that looks amazing. But if you look at what they're doing with the Mercedes and the Dodge Sprinter, that's when it just goes up to a whole other level. Downsized. Oh, other okay. oh, sides down. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but you can see some of them. Yeah, look at it. Just fucking. Yeah, I like. Yep. I like. I I, I have those same ideas. Yeah, but I, just, I do go on these trips for you hunting do. where I go out, you know, I'm in the woods five, six days at a time, and most of the time there's no cell phone service. I just did Bourdain. Uh, with the crew that you guys shot with in Montana. Oh, yeah. 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 What'd you do? I did his uh, 
no reservations. Yeah. Or, well, yeah. it's called. Um, what is it called now? Parts Unknown. Parts Unknown. Yeah. yeah Where'd you go? <laughs> What'd you do? We just it? it was Mexican food down on Oliveira Street. Oh, nice, yeah. nice. Yeah, we went bird hunting in Montana. It's fun. It's interesting. Yeah. That that guy still goes hard. Yeah. Hard. Like wham, throwing him back. We got so high. I thought I could feel the earth spinning. Well, he had <sighs> just come from. He was super late. I got drunk. If you watch this uh, parts of note, I'm fucking wasted. <laughs> because I really am. Uh, people are like, why is El Madrigal's eyes closed? Yeah, kind of super drunk. He was four hours late, and I just went to bars with that crew while we were waiting for him because he got a tattoo. And then he showed up super late, and then we ate taquitos. And by the time we got there, I was just trashed. I'm, I'm the biggest lightweight of all time. It really is true. I did a show with you at the Comedy Magic Club. We walked around the corner and got baked with Red Band. And then I went back in, and I had to apologize to your audience. I go, you guys, <laughs> I go, I'm so high. You guys don't understand. I don't, I've, I've been so busy, I haven't been able to get baked like I used to, and it just fucking snuck up on me. I don't know what the fuck is going on. We can snuck up on, you can sneak up on you easy today. Yeah, and like, people are productive. Like, Doug Benson is a productive motherfucker. He gets a lot done. I can't speak. I'll just leave that there. All right. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, some people are much more comfortable, like Joey. Joey Diaz is constantly in that state. I saw him, I don't know if it was, who sent me a picture of it? If it was, uh, somebody showed me something that he was in. One of those big gummy bears. Oh, dude. That has 3,000. Like, yeah, 3,000 milligrams. Milligrams yeah. of THC in that thing and he'd like chomp the head off yeah, he does that all the time he I, stopped doing that though by the way joey stopped he backed off the edibles oh really yeah he just he see said, that's all panic I attacks oh yeah yeah i can't i have such i've been waking i just went to the doctor i had a little bit of health scare and this is two days ago uh because i've been waking up in the middle of the night out of breath Ooh. yeah oh you probably have sleep apnea and that or i got a sleep study that's being done and then um they're saying i have anxiety we definitely have anxiety yeah a lot of it. You ever thought about doing like yoga or anything? Um, I try to go to the gym. I go to the gym like every morning, but I don't like I need to meditate. And um, people have talked to me about transcendental meditation mm. and stuff like that that I need to settle the fuck down. Yeah. They, but you know that you have this thing and you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything about it. And the doctor said that this is good that now you're finally being compelled to talk about it with somebody that this is a problem and you feel like you're angry at yourself for the being so anxious. Because hmm. if I go to the airport with my wife and kids, I can feel it. I feel, feel the my, anxiety? I feel myself freaking the fuck out. Wow. What do you freak? Like, what's the thought? What are you worried about? Just, we got to get through and everybody's slowing us uh, down and fucking... I go early. I know. That's what I started doing. Traveler. That's why I'm like trying to prepare myself for it's this. It's so huge. Just leave an hour earlier than you need to and you don't I give worry myself about plenty shit. Of time. And I still look at my wife and I'm like, and the last couple of times, I'm like, doing pretty good. Doing, <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm working on it. That's weird. It seems like maybe you were set up for this from like your early career, like this like tension. Yeah. You know, and then the desire for success, like to be a successful comic is a lot of hustling and there's a lot of like, you got to fucking you got to be on your point. You got to be on your game. Can't you got to go, go, go. Around. Can't fuck around. Go, go, yeah, go, 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 go. And now with ATC, again, I feel so much responsibility for all these comics. And mm. like, so we have 50 podcasts. We have 50. We have comedians. Trim that thing down for sure. I tried. That's another yeah. thing where you're going to make Cut some tough calls. I did. 20% at least, right? Um, everybody is like. <laughs> 
Like, okay, here's a, here's a perfect fucking example. Like, Ian Edwards has a podcast called Soccer Comic. Yeah. I'm not going to... I love yeah, Ian Edwards to death, right? Mm-hmm. He's on that network. I don't care if four people listen to that fucking right. show. He's on that <laughs> network. I don't, yeah. like, I don't give a shit. Yeah, I feel the same way. And so I don't care about the numbers as much as I believe in the comics. Like, there's two comedians, Michael Costa and, Mike, and Chris Fairbanks, that I want to start making TV. Like, they're not on TV. Right. Costa's a funny dude, Costa's too. Costa's a funny motherfucker. And I have a great story with Costa. So um, this is how we met. Me and Bill. Burr first comes to um, Comedy Store, sees me. We become friendly. Then sees me on stage. did some bit about how my wife's half Korean, half Greek. And I go, I, my, I have this Korean mother-in-law... And I don't do any jokes about her because then I'd be doing Margaret Cho's je- act and who wants that? Shithead. And so fucking he loves it. And I'm like, huh, that's fucking hilarious. And so, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good burn. Yeah. And so we go. Now I'm at the point in LA, you guys, like I'm doing spots. I'm not doing anything else. And so I'm working on these TV shows as much as I can. But when I'm not, I'm at the comedy store, two sets. Then I go to the Laugh Factory. Then I go to the improv. I'm doing that triangle and I'm hitting them all. And I hit the guy's house. Like I'm going everywhere. I'm a guy who's doing like 12 sets a week. And this is from 2004 until I get the Daily Show, pretty much. Like, this is a good, solid six or seven years of just fucking going. And then I go to the improv. And uh, Bill, again, knew. I go, let's go to the improv. Let's fucking go down there. And so he jumps in my car. We drive down to the improv. It's a show that they're doing where they show a sketch comedy video, and then they bring up a stand-up, and then they show a sketch comedy video and a stand-up, and Mike Costa's the host. So I go up in between these sets, and I look at them, and I go, hey, do you know if they're going to show another video, or are they going to bring me up? And then he responds. I forget what he says. But then he goes up on stage, and he goes, okay, this next comedian is, um, I guess it's Al Madrigai. If you want me to pronounce your name right, you got to come introduce yourself to me before the set. I can't be expected to, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl, and I'm on the side losing it. And I go, fuck you. And he goes, what? And I go, you heard me. Fuck. This is a room full of, it's Asian night or something. Like there's all these Chinese people there. And so I go, everybody turns. And I go, you heard me. Fuck you. I go, do your job. I introduced myself to you. Like, just get the fuck off stage. Like, I'm, yeah. And I go, what the, because he's like, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. Who are you? I go, dude, you're the fucking host. Figure it out. Right. Asshole. So I walk up and I proceed to just lay into him. Just fucking 15 minutes are about, I don't know if it's a guy or a girl. (laughs) You're the host. It's all You have one fucking job to do. Bill's hunched over laughing on the side. Fucking all the comics in the back are just, there's tables in the back are on the floor. And it's the, it was a, I go, it's fucking Asian night. This is the worst crowd I've ever fucking seen. It's just going crazy. And I can't help it. I, again, if anyone's listening, like, this guy's an asshole. I don't want to be, I don't want to do that. Right. It just came out. It's compelled. I I, I, uncontrollable fucking burst of fucking telling people Cuntiness. to fuck off. Yeah. Asshole. Yeah. Cuntiness. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I could have I gone, I'm right here. Right. Sorry about that. 
Right. Magical. No magical, magical. No problem. Right. Just bring me out. Yeah. But that puts you in a bad position. You go up there like sort of. Yeah. Sub- like they can't. Submitting. Yeah. It's Willie Barsena had those stories about like headbutting somebody in the hallway because they brought up Charles Fleischer instead of him. You know, like he. Like, well, Willie's crazy. Well, yeah. Yeah. That's a whole nother <laughs> thing. Like, I think I told that story last time I was on this podcast where I told him to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> and he's an East L.A. street fighter. <laughs> So I, I yeah, I, it doesn't matter. I'm like when I see red, I fucking start telling everybody, "Fuck you." Right. So anyway, um, me and Mike Costa, very good friends, <laughs> to this day. I came up. I mean, I see my the error in my ways right away. And I apologize. I go, dude, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I can't control it. I'm sorry. I say crazy shit to people, and so again. Well, you and I have never had a weirdness. No, we never had a weird moment. School. I'm, you know, this happens with very few people, but when it does, well, it, you f- when you feel slighted, that's yes. what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never slighted you. Like we, zero. You, and if you know, no, you haven't. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Again, I want to just just fucking sit on. Yeah, a chair. I know. I know that feeling though. There's a feeling, especially like the anxiety before you're performing. You're you're ready to go, and then someone you feel like someone's fucking with you, and you're like, oh, okay. I've had that happen before, mm-hmm. where a host will purposely say some dicky things about you, thinking they're gonna chop down your set. I've done the same thing. I just go after them, hundred percent, totally. Yeah. Um, who's a Brendan Schaub told me stories like he to people because you know he's a big guy and uh, he's some, new to stand up. He's new to stand up, and somebody went up on stage at the improv and he said, um, he said, who the fuck is that guy? Like you can't be that handsome and fucking like started just tearing into him like for being like well, this is being not, a fighter too. Yeah, this is yeah. not for you. Yeah, well, it was Eric Griffin. Was it? Yeah, yeah. He was just <laughs> fucking around. Yeah, I mean, it was just like. That's what you say. Yes. You know, the guy goes up and he does stand up and he's got this perfect haircut. And you're like, hey, fuck you. You know, Eric goes up with his spare tire around his waist and, oh you know, gosh. he's a big, jolly guy. Yeah, yeah. It's like, just get the fuck out of here with this. Fatty with glasses yeah. and a mustache. <laughs> I have the same thing. He's got a great mustache, yeah. though. He looks like he puts on the glasses and mustache together <laughs> in one piece. He does. He does. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But he, when he was doing that, I was trying to tell Brendan, I go, dude, that's what we do. I go, you got to understand that. Like, you go up, you do your set, the guy's going to shit on you. You know what I mean? That's like, I would have shit on you too, probably. Especially like, in New York, same thing. Oh, like, fuck more. It. In New York, Way more. if you don't do two or three minutes of what's going on in the room and what just happened, you're going to have a shitty set. Like, that's I would. That's what I learned right away. You had to be like, t- you know, star to fucking hold everyone's attention and just start launching into material. Yeah. You have to comment on what's happening. You know? Well, you know what that is from? I, I noticed that, too, when I lived in New York. I was like, it's because the crowds are small and the stage is small. It's a way more intimate experience. It's like the belly room. You know, the belly room is a totally different experience than the OR, which is a totally different experience than the main room. It's one of the beautiful things about doing the hat trick at the comedy store. If you do yeah. all three rooms in a night, you get to feel the different, like, the belly room is so much more intimate and so much more intense because there's only 70 people in the room. And yeah. they're jammed in there, and they're right in front of you, and that's like a New York room. So I'm t- I'm doing that sh- that show on Showtime about stand up comedy. I'm dying up here. Yeah. You get to meet that guy in the back that's helping me. You know, they, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. He's making that show, and we were talking about the belly room and interviewing people about that just to figure it out. And that used to be, it was called the belly room because it was for women. And then, like a pregnant woman, you know, like, like a, a womb. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. Were, that's like Mitzi literally thought of it as a comedy womb. Yep. Yeah. And then 
they used to put overflow. So if Richard Pryor or somebody huge was in the main room, they put all the overflow up in the belly room. And then a comic would be on stage, and they'd come in. If, like, a table opened up, they'd go, mid-act, mid Thompson, party of four. Like, you, you're doing stand-up on stage. You know, a waitress would come in and go, the Thompson's here? And then the Thompsons are sitting in the front, and they just get up and walk out. And go to see Richard Pryor in yeah, the main room. Totally. So, wow. So that place, you know, it's a, and then I work on that with Eric Griffin. So I, I, I didn't really know him that well before, and hilarious. Just fucking fucks with people nonstop. So of yeah. course he was the guy that of did course. that shit. But he's a great dude. Like, he's, he's a nice not, guy. He's not doing it because he's nope. an asshole. He's just being silly, and that's what I was trying to tell Brendan. He's like, you went at me hard, bro. And I'm like, that's what we do. You go, Like, Brendan's new to this whole world, you know, yeah. because he started out doing podcasts he's a funny guy and then he started doing these live podcasts with Callan and they would do sort of like a little sketch routine like a comedy routine and then mm -hmm. he would do a few minutes on his own just doing like kind of stand-up like telling his story and he's funny he says mm -hmm. he has some funny ideas so now he's doing sets like on a regular basis and then he's doing sets in front of people who don't know him which is the right way to do it totally one That's... of the bad things that people do is they only do their own crowd over and over and over again, yep. not smart. You got to go out and do those shows that I was saying. Like when you start doing stand-up comedy, you invite all your friends out, and it takes you three sets to figure out. Oh shit! I better stop inviting my friends out. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, just do it. Well, yeah. not only that, but if you invite your friends out and they're a significant part of the audience, they've already seen your jokes. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 it goes bad right away, and you're like, oh, I want to make strangers laugh. I want to make complete strangers laugh. Yeah. And if I can do that, it just makes you a better comic. I got a bunch of shit, and we were talking about this before. I got a bunch of shit for fucking heckling Steve-O. <laughs> Did a, you heckle him in the audience? At the improv. I was on stage. I told a story. I said, I don't, again, I don't want to be this guy. <laughs> I really don't. You don't understand. It is a problem, and I'm trying to, I'm going to go to a cognitive behavioral, that's what the doctor prescribed me, is a cognitive behavioral specialist that's going to stop me from doing shit like this. Really? Yeah. But uh, I said, uh, I don't feel bad, that bad about this. I said, um, he was in the audience, and I said... All right, I, I go, I don't want to care about stand-up this much. I really don't. I'm so passionate about this. So you guys don't fucking understand. Like, I was like, so-and-so stole this joke and stole that joke. And I go, I, I just got to come to grips with the fact that what I feel like is my life's calling is somebody else's last resort. And uh, then, because I talk about, like, Dustin Diamond does stand-up. I go, fucking, uh, you know... Skippy from Family Times to stand up, like, and then people don't even know what that is anymore. I know. Does so. he still do it, Skippy? Yeah, I think so. Dustin Boy, Diamond was in jail. I oh, guess. he stabbed somebody. Yeah, yeah. Well, they Skippy was doing stand up. He was like, like an 80s when comic. Family Ties sort of ended. He was doing stand up when I was an open micer. I was just starting out, and he was headlining these places, and that's, you know, he had this big smile, Skippy from Family Ties, and he just would go on the road, but I never heard from him again. Yeah, I, I wonder heard. what that guy's doing. There's got to, at some point, the audience just goes away, and then yeah. people stop booking you, and then you have to go away, I guess. What do you do? 
I don't know. Job. I guess you know, hopefully you invested your money properly and then Please. you bought some real estate. Skippy. Non, yeah. <laughs> Skippy's just a real estate baron. You know who talks me down and has Callan has talked me down a couple of times. He's like, no, just relax. He's a nice guy. Don't worry yeah. about it. Callan's a calm guy. Yeah. But you know, the thing is like, it is your life calling. And for some people it isn't. Some people it's like something that came along after they had been doing a bunch of other stuff. But that's okay. Yeah, whatever. Uh, who cares? There's an audience for yeah. everybody. It's but like, there's like a lot of people will say like that guy's not really a comic. Like if you're doing stand up, you're a comic. And although most of them don't ever become comics you respect, it's not like it's outside the realm of possibility. If you could do it or I could do it, how come they can't do it? Somebody said this about Caratop. Like that fucker carried around. Say what you will, but that fucker <laughs> carried around that bag for a long <laughs> fucking time. Before. He not only that he. He monopolized that genre. That was a legit genre when we started out. Yep. You remember, like there were prop comics. I mean, I, buddies with Rusty Dooley. Remember, like yeah, Rusty Dooley's fucking. Rusty Dooley was a prop comic. Yeah. But there's no prop comics anymore. This really? fucking carrot top. He killed the genre. Wow. Dude, when I first started in '88, there was a you would have a prop comic on every other show. Three yeah. or four shows. You do three or four shows. One of those shows would have a prop comic on it. Now they don't exist anymore. So I really feel like in this I'm Dying Up Here, we did a good job of, of bringing all that stuff back. And this is nice. It's set 1973, but we got uh, Ventriloquist. <laughs> I can't wait for you to see this show. That's another thing. There's no more Ventriloquist. Nope. Who killed that? Um, probably, well, Jeff Dunham. Yes, that's he, who it was. he owns it. He owns it. He owns it. And then there was, you saw Otto and George, Oh, right? I worked with Otto. No Many way. times. Many times. We did prom shows together in New York. Oh my God! Tell people if, they, if people don't know what Otto and George is. You can, maybe you can explain since you worked with them because I only the, saw him. The puppet would say the most vicious, vile, racist shit, and then he would go, "I can't believe you're saying that." And he would go, "Cunt! Hey, look at this fucking lady! He's a cunt! Hey, cunt! Hey, cunt!" <clears throat> yeah, cunt. yeah. Oh, it was, <laughs> just walk an entire room. He would say ruthless, ruthless shit. He there was he a is. great guy too. Dead. Yeah, he died. And um, he, uh, Sawyer had him in that small room, and we watched tourist after tourist walk away. And Tom Sawyer, <laughs> Tom Sawyer looked at me and the rest of the comics, who again are just hunched over on the floor, and he goes, "I'm losing money this weekend, guys, but this is for us." Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, and well, he, his act was ridiculous. We did uh, we did Jersey Shore shows for this guy Bob Gonzo. We did uh, I did a lot of shows with Otto. But, He'd go looking for whores and crack. Oh, he would go. He would go off. Yeah, he would get crazy. But he would get crazy. Yeah, but they're saying so. We have a ventriloquist in the show. <laughs> We've got like, oh, it's like the petty fights. Like I get to write on it, so I got to incorporate all my fucking weirdness in there mm. and like uh, petty bullshit, bad intro. Fuck you. <laughs> you know, oh, just, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys also got. 1970s wardrobe and hair which is fucking badass I saw some photos of it my daughter walked out to me and um, on set didn't say anything about my hair I'm rocking the biggest mustache for you. I'll post a picture I'm just rocking the I biggest I think it's on it's online oh, Jamie, yeah. Jamie could probably find it um, huge real mustache big sideburns and that are mine and then this wig my daughter walks up and she goes um why are you wearing a towel <laughs> it's a Terry Cloth shirt <laughs> The towel's the thing that bothered her. Why is your shirt made out of a towel? I don't understand. <laughs> this is like kids growing up. How are your kids with growing up with like? Do they know stand up comic dad? Like that's they're figuring it out. Yeah, I brought my uh, living in New York. Brought 
practicing for a Comedy Central special that I don't think uh, one person saw. And I go... It was an hour or a half? Hour. When did you do it? I did it in 2014, 2013. So it's something they gave you once you started doing the Daily Show? Daily Show special came out. And How many called, times did they rabbit crying? Just Twice. Fucking midnight on a Friday. Those motherfuckers. Yep. You burn a special with them. Yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, it's a problem. So, well, you know what? And then they're like, but you can catch it online at ComedyCentral.com. Nobody can. Nobody's going there. No one is going there. It's not happening. You know what I want them to do? And I really Sell wanna, it to Netflix. Sell them to Netflix or have a billboard. Really have a campaign that says Dave Attell, Jim Gaffigan, Joe Rogue, like all these names of just every comic that you love and watch, mm-hmm. all available here, $2. Right. Like you know what or something like just But they're so not going to do that because no one's going to do it. They're not you like you have to have something on a platform that people already use. Sell them all to CISO. You have Amazon, you have Netflix and you know like Apple. That's it. Yeah. No no one else is going anywhere else. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. It's too easy to do those things. So anyway, I just burned that special. Anyway, so uh, I I'm practicing for that. I go up to Rochester, New York. Bring my wife and kids with me. We stay in a Holiday Inn and Suites. And this is a six-year-old little girl, goes over to the curtains, opens them up, and she goes, um, why am I looking at the parking lot? (laughs) (laughs) And I go, everybody gather around. This is the road. Okay? Yeah, that's what I do. This is what daddy does. You think I'm having a great time? They're flying around. It really gets sad. We're going to fight a businessman for a waffle tomorrow morning. (laughs) Everybody shut up. (laughs) <laughs> those Rochester road gigs are rough. Like those spots where people don't necessarily want to go. Albany, Rochester. Oof. Oof. Yeah, it was uh, a bar. It, it was attached to a country western bar called Daisy Dukes. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, look that up. That's fucking <laughs> brutal. There was a place in, in Youngstown, Ohio that I did that was attached to a disco, and there was a back door. And every time the back door would open up, like when people would go to the bathroom and hear... <laughs> And the door would slowly close. (laughs) Okay, so... It was rough. I did this place, Laughs, in Kirkland. Washington? Washington. And I go there, and I'm doing this... Again, if you watch these, these are like longer stories, tangents, characters, shit like that, for the most part. Like, my closer is 25 minutes long. Jesus. In this special. It starts with this. This is the 2014 special. No, this is the one I'm doing right now that comes out. The one that comes out this weekend. Twenty minutes long. Yeah. So it's this big, long fucking bit that I've been working on forever about revenge and my anger and (laughs) fucking. I did seafood revenge. I shrimped the place. That's why it's called shrimping and easy. Okay. So I'm a fucking just uh, mess and. well, I forgot. I just got off track. I forgot what I was fucking talking about. The, the road, oh. open up the parking lot, fighting someone over a waffle, Kirkland, Washington. Kirkland. So I'm at Kirkland, and uh, big long, I'm in the middle of a big long story, and they bring out these trays that have neon lights around them with jello shots on them. And, they, and, and everybody in the entire audience looks at these trays. They're, they look like UFOs. They got jello shots on them. And I go, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to interrupt this uh, crafted uh, uh, bit that took me five years to master to bring you jello shots. Who wants a jello shot? Let's everybody do jello shots, ladies and gentlemen. Jello shot time. And I just started fucking selling the shit out of jello shots as a bit because I'm like, this guy fucked up. 
like this, I need everyone concentrating. Ideally, Who was bringing out the jello shots? The owner and the waitresses are bringing out these trays. Did they tell of, you they were going to nope, do this? Nope, just UFO trays of jello shots. This is at a comedy club? At a comedy club, lose every single person in the audience. This so, is this a standard thing they do? I guess so. I just went with it. And is I it just like what they do at it. the end of the night to like their wrap up? This is the big push at the end of the night. We're going to get some extra dollars in I our coffers. I can't believe it was happening. I was shocked at the time. And Ugh. then the owner comes up like I was serious and he goes, holy shit. He goes, we sold out of Jello shots. You were amazing. That was oh unbelievable. My God. And then I walk in the next night. He's got more Jello shots. I mean, the kitchen is filled with them. Oh my God! And those Jello shots come out, and I don't say a thing. <laughs> it's like fucking serious. Hey, I thought we were in business with yeah, selling exactly. Jello shots yeah, together. Yeah, we had a good thing going on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know this. He goes, he didn't mention, he didn't mention the Jello shots. What are you doing? I go, yeah. I, re- I don't know if you can tell, but I really hate the fucking jello shots. Like, I go, it was just, it was, it was horrible. You should not be selling them. I don't know. It's a huge distraction. What did he say? And it was just to teach you a lesson. Like, uh, it's fine. Did yeah. he sell any jello shots? No. When you weren't pushing them? Nope. No. Zero. None. And so he just had a huge, like, he had. Whoa. Yeah. You should probably explain that to him. Yeah. On the first night, and then he would have got it. But he probably still would have sold them anyway. Yeah, yeah, Fuck yeah. Fuck you, I made thing. money. Fuck yeah. you, I made money. And he was money. a nice guy, and it was a nice, like, it was just, like, it, I don't know, <clears> man. <throat> like, I can't, uh, it's yeah. hard for me to do. And, again, if you have people coming out that know you, and you're going out to see something, and you, like, collectively, you're a group of people that love an individual comic, it's a great place to be. But again, if you're up there winning over 60% of the audience, ugh. It's not good. I'd rather just yeah. go hang out at the store. Well, it's good to do the road, though, because, like, you can... I think, like, every time you do a set in a new place, you get a new experience, a new vibe, a new feel, new crowds, new... I mean, I think places also have, like, a different personality. Like, I feel like Portland, Oregon has a different personality than a lot of places. Like you go up to Portland, it feels different. The audience mm-hmm. feels different. And then you go to Austin, Texas, different feeling. Yeah. Uh, like a little lighter there. A little lighter, a little more fun, it's, a little more silly. I like doing shows in Canada. I, I do too. In Toronto, one of Fuck the best yeah. sets I've ever had in my entire fucking life. Toronto, Vancouver is fun for me yep. to go to. Canadians are just great audiences. I don't know what it is. They're just, it's loose. They're fucking not uptight about it. 20% less douchebags. Really? Yeah, that's my theory about Canada. They have twenty percent less douchebags than us. It must be what it is. There's it's always douchebags. Fun, yeah, but they have twenty percent less. I was in that Vancouver uh, comedy club. There's mix? a place called Comedy Mix. Yeah, great spot, awesome spot. And uh, you go right to your hotel. You go. It's in the hotel. You go down. Yep. Down to the bottom floor. Walk right into the club. All clubs underground. Comedy Works, DC Improv. If you have like that old Cobbs that we talked about, like yep. just all these great places. Yep. Uh, just underground comedy club. There's something about it. It's just yep. fun. Anyway, so um, I think there's three guys in the front row, and I look at them, and they keep going to the bathroom. I'm like, "You guys are doing coke, huh?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're doing coke." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I look at the bouncer, and I'm like. These guys are clearly doing coke. Like that, no one, you shot them in the front row, and then he goes, well, they paid. To sit in the front row. Yeah. yeah that's they got a, coke money. They got coke money. <laughs> well, Vancouver's a big coke town. Really? Yeah, it's a big weed town, but it's also a big coke town. They, um, that was one of the points where I, and it's Sunday night after that set, and I go after that weekend, it's the last, and I'm hanging out with this um, great comic up there, Graham Clark. 
and bearded guy looks like the young Santa Claus, like all you know, Vancouver comics. And we go and we're having drinks at a bar nearby. And these two girls send over these two shots of Jack Daniels. And um, he's not an attractive fella. I'm no Brendan Chubb. And so we go, what? Yeah, really? And they look over our shoulders. Is this for us? And I go, okay. They must have been at the show. That's right. what must have been at the show. They weren't at the show. Hmm. Weird. There's a lot of chicks in that town. Maybe they wanted your liver. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I immediately go to fucking me in the bathtub, right. fucking with no organs. Wake up, ice yeah. is on you. Totally. Oh, that's Jesus. I'm, I'm very suspicious. Right. Because I'm rocking a wedding ring. Exactly. Right. Not people's sexiest man alive. You know, fucking, my wife is very attractive, but. Again, it is what it is. I'm not pulling any chicks after Got it. shows. And I'm no, I'm no uh, you know, Brian Callen is outgoing, nice guy. You're like, not. I'm not Brian so Callen. So why is this, why are they? I don't know. So then they come over. And this is, I've never felt so bad about, like, <laughs> these two chicks, they're hot. And I immediately go to, we're going to die. Like, they're trying to drug us and take some shit. Whoa. And then, because uh, I can't under offer any explanation for it, and neither can Graham. And so we send him back shots, and we don't go over there. We're just like, okay, it's even now. And then they come join us at a table. And then the one girl starts talking to us. We're like, were you guys at the show? And they're like, what show? And then I go, um, we're chit-chatting, and she, the one girl goes, she goes, I really want to go to strip clubs right now. And I was like, fucking, this is like a fucking fantasy for me to fucking go to strip clubs with these hot chicks. And uh, and Graham looks at me, and I go, well, I got a flight to catch, and I guess I'll just... See you guys later. <laughs> I just we fucking walked away, and that's never happened. It's happened in Vancouver. You walk around that city, and there's this place called the Cactus Club. And have you been there? No. Oh my god. What is it? They cast with headshots. They uh, they staff their whole place with headshots. Really? It's the most gorgeous women you've ever seen in your entire life working at a place. The Cactus Club. The Cactus Club. Why they call club. it the Cactus Club? I don't know where they came up with A lot of pricks? <laughs> so, yeah, they, uh, it's a lot of just hot chicks, and that's what I saw in Vancouver. It was just fucking hot chicks. I think prostitution is legal, right? Oh, do you think they were prostitutes? They might have been prostitutes. Mm. Um, they, so they, they got you drinks. Thinking to get these guys intoxicated. Look at him; he's got glasses on. Look at that guy's got he looks like an executive or guy's something. Got some whore money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, he's got a he's got a little whore stash. Speaking of whores, hmm. I just went to <laughs> the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Where's that? I did a private gig. It's on uh, right at the end of Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. Okay, and then it's on Wilshire and it hits. And it's an old hotel. And me and Tom Papa did a charity gig on Monday night. So then me and Tom hit the bar afterwards and proceed to watch a parade of high-end whores go through that place, picking off old men left and right to the point where we were, like, we were just shocked. It was really? amazing. Good-looking ladies. Well, there's that, there's that crazy Beverly Hills money. You know, just the other day I was looking at real estate in Beverly Hills for a goof. You ever look at, like, the Redfin app? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love to do that every now and then. Me go, too. If I was going to move to Beverly Hills, let's see what I can afford. I'm looking at nothing. Oh, I, yeah, I can nothing. afford nothing. Well, it's all like seventeen million dollar house. Eighty five million, a hundred million, two hundred million. 
dude, <laughs> like, who's... that's exactly who's buying it. Well, I went to dinner with uh, my wife and one of her friends, her friend's husband, and we went in Beverly Hills, and this guy pulled up in a million-dollar car. He had a Bugatti Veyron. It's a million-dollar car, and it has Saudi Arabian license plates on Gold -plated. it. Gold-plated. Which is totally illegal. It's totally illegal to have Saudi Arabian license plates. Like, they're taking these cars. They either fly them over or they put them on a boat. They have them registered in Saudi Arabia. They bring them to America, and they drive around with these plates on it. They had palace plates. Like, it said, like, palace on the fucking plate. And, and cops it had like don't numbers. fuck with those guys they don't because they're foreign guys. dignitaries. Well, because there's so much money. Yeah. Like, you remember that one guy that was, like, some sort of a foreign dignitary guy, and he was banging his maids or, like, forced them to suck his dick or something like that, and they called the cops on him, and they arrested him, and then, you know, they were going to process him and, you know, charge him with rape, and he just fucking hopped in a private jet and flew out of the country. Yeah. And they were saying, why did you let this guy go? Fuck they, you, fuck you, fuck you! Yeah. It's like diplomatic immunity. He was crying diplomatic immunity. Yeah. Yeah, but forcing maids. I'm just thinking about my maid. It's this old fucking Mexican lady forcing her to suck my So dick. these, the money. <laughs> I always think of Arnold, what he did. Yeah. But the money in that area, in Beverly Hills area, is just, it's catastrophic. I mean, it's stratospheric, rather. It's off the charts. Like, you can't even understand. Like, a guy who makes good money is poor there. You're, I'm a poor person there. Yeah. I do well, but I'm poor there. Sure. It's when you get into oil money oh, or yeah. people who own any Oligarch sort of, money. Yeah. yeah. Just, and even in the United States, when you have people that have been here for so long and generate, you know, the yeah. sons. Trumps. Mayflower yeah. fucking shit Ooh. where it's like, oh, yeah, we own, we used to, my family used to own Pasadena. Ooh. That's another trippy Ooh. thing. Is say like, we've talked about that is where there was so much money in Pasadena that they put that two ten freeway there. That's why it is where it is. So they keep the black people on the other side. What? That's exactly why that freeway is there. How, where do they keep the black people? On which side? On the other side, down north of Pasadena, that two ten separates in like them. Altadena. That's where the a, black people are. That's where the black people are. That's why they call it Crimadina. Really? They call Altadena Crimadina. No way. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough up there. Yeah. We were playing we were playing this youth basketball league when my son was uh, maybe like a fifth grader and that got nicest man in the world who ran the basketball league just got hit by a bullet in the head and fucking dead. Whoa. Yeah. Pasadena streets. There was this park. He got shot in Pasadena? Just stray bullet. A stray bullet? Yeah. Who were they shooting at? Just each other. You know, gangs. Whoa. In Pasadena? Mm -hmm. There's gang violence in Pasadena? A shitload of it. What? Like yeah. near the Ice House? Not near the Ice House. Ice House is on the right side. Uh, south side. This is a freeway. Go fucking north of that freeway and go up into the hills right there. And there's a shitload of crime. Shitload. Wow. I saw, there's this place called Villa Park where my son was playing soccer. And we went there, and I saw guys getting their hair cut in the street, like just a guy sitting down and just buzzing, and a dude lines of people just giving haircuts in the street. And it was yeah. like, everybody watch out. Like this fucking rough neighborhood. We ever see dudes getting haircuts in the street, and you're like, fucking everybody look alive. It's rough. And it's a lot of Latinos, you know, and there's also a lot of uh, black on Mexican crime. Remember when that was happening in, the, in L.A.? Those Mexican guys were just shooting black people. Yeah. Any black people? Really? No Any of them? Yep. Why? Trying to run them out of neighborhoods. Whoa. Yep. When you get into like MS-13 shit, yeah. that's where it starts to get Well, that's where like scary. 
white people get really pro-Trump. You know, they they get very excited about Trump, and it's MS-13 is one of the things they keep bringing up, and all these illegal immigrants that have formed yeah. these gangs. For the most part, when you look at all of the people coming in to work, um, they don't want any trouble. Sure. Nobody, everybody wants to keep their head down, work these fucking, give themselves a chance, right. no trouble. And with anything, there's going to be bad apples. There's going to be the guy in San Francisco that everybody keeps referring to. There's right. going to be gangs. Yeah, but you know what I see everywhere I go? That is a huge fucking problem that is going, is just spreading like wildfires. Fucking meth. Yeah. Meth. Oh, yeah. It's like when you go. Meth and Adderall, by the way. Adderall's bad. Oh, it's a huge problem. And it leads people to meth. Really? Oh, yeah, for sure. Adderall and meth are closely related. Wow. Very closely related. They're both amphetamines. I took a half of Adderall once, and I was like, oh, yep, never doing that again. Fucking. Yeah. I do. Took, I'm, do not, to I'm not good on drugs. It's, uh, I took, Freddie Soto gave me an Ambien. He was an Ambien, unfortunately. Yeah. That's what did him in, wasn't it? It had to be. Sleep apnea like and he's fat. He was fat. Yeah. He's fat and he's like, you know, drugs. And, well, when you have Ambien just, yeah. and sleep apnea, apparently it's a lethal combination because you don't feel yourself choking. Yeah, he gave me an Ambien. I, we moved... I took it, I was just like, I needed to take a nap, and I was all wound up. I slept for five hours straight in the middle of the day, and I was like, I'm never fucking taking that again. Ooh. And then um, took this Adderall and just felt all fucked up and just never. I'm, ba I'm bad, like, I don't think my body, I don't know, I just, uh, I don't do anything. I was getting really tired. During the day, and I remember you told me to take some vitamin D, and so I started taking a multivitamin, mm -hmm. and that really helps me, and I take a lot of B12. That helps. You know what else will help you in a big way? Cut out all the bread and sugar yeah. and carbs. Pretty Cut good. out all that stuff, because yeah. then the insulin spikes. You're not getting these big spikes, which is a big reason why people crash at the end of the day. It's bread. Bread, yeah. pasta, all that stuff. You're like Your body goes, fuck, and your body has to process that, and you get this big slump. As soon as you cut all that out, you experience a much even, much more even flow of energy through the day. Yeah. So if I could just learn to um, do like that, like I, I'm like a again, I'm such a glutton, man. It's like fucking just uh, um, bread. When the kids, my wife is making, because they have fresh loaves of this artisan bread that she has, and then they may bring peanut butter and jelly, and mm. making sounds like I'm just like a scavenger. I'm a family goat. Like I'll just eat the crust. <laughs> like fucking, just like <laughs> that. All the kids leave behind. Yeah, that's fucking. I don't. Even, sometimes uh, I stop dealing like ordering food for myself at a restaurant because I know they're everyone's gonna leave half their shit. Really? Just, or I'll order myself a full entree, and then somebody will have half a chicken parmesan or something over on it because my son and you know and daughter insist on ordering off the kids menu and so now I got somebody eating a full chicken parmesan but they'll only eat half of it and I'm not going to let that go to waste and so I'll start digging into that and then there's pasta there and I'm like let me just try one of those raviolis and then all of a sudden I ate like fucking three dinners <laughs> so I weigh more than I ever have weighed in my entire life right now wow 193 and Jesus, I'm 5'10 yeah wow and I think like it's uh, again I go to the gym on a regular basis and I lift and stuff like that but yeah I eat fucking 193 pounds yeah it's that pasta and bread man if you just cut all that stuff out you'll drop a shitload of weight right I away quit being the family goat that'll help 
that Jesus. Help. You know, one of the things that we were talking about that I think is kind of important, like when you're talking about um, immigration and like bad apples and stuff like that, I look at immigration the same way I look at gun control. Like most people that have guns are law-abiding citizens and it's not going to be a problem. The vast, vast majority. And I think that's the same case with immigration and the same case with people coming to America, even illegally. They want to do better. That's why they're coming here. They're not coming Obviously. here because they want to start crime. Sure. And they, most of them are coming here because they want opportunities. With guns, I totally agree. I want a shotgun so badly. I need a double barrel. Like I want a shotgun. Yeah. And um, I've shot a lot of guns, especially for the Daily Show. I've done shot sh- guns for the Daily oh Show. Oh my God! I've Is done that like so mandatory? Many, I've done. Like, you guys gonna be telling jokes? You're gonna have to learn how to fucking clear a room. You gotta learn how to defend yourself. Okay. All right. Follow me now. This is a Thompson machine gun. Okay. Trigger discipline. It's no. very important for the Daily Show. I've shot 50 caliber. Sniper busters. 50 calibers are ridiculous. Yeah. Dude, I'll show you a video after this. Uh, Actually, maybe this hasn't really even aired because it was part of a pilot that I did. did, I did a pilot for Comedy Central when I left The Daily Show. It was an anti-travel show called This Place Sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That didn't go. Dude, I'll send it to you. That's a great idea just in concept. Dude, it's the fucking funny. You know what they said? Too mean. Everybody said it was too mean. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, I go, we did it in Kansas City. I go, hey, everybody, my name's Al Madrigal. I'm in Kansas City. I'm going to tell you why this place sucks. Uh, <laughs> and fucking just shit all over it. And you it, need to just do that online. Oh, yeah. I should just put them out. So I that do, is a great idea for all things comedy. Why don't you just, like, buy start up the idea? Them. I totally should. Do you own the idea? It's my idea. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great idea. So that I, idea, like, as soon as you set it up, bing. Yeah. You know, someone says an idea and a light bulb goes off. Like, Easy that's show. a real idea. And I do it in San Francisco. When I do it, San Francisco's fucking filthy. It is one of the dirtiest cities I've ever been sure. to in my entire life. And also, it's like filled with rich douchebags now uh-huh. because of the, you know, internet boom and all this tech boom. And it's oh, like yeah. poor people are getting moved out. There's so much stuff to make fun of. So, anyway, I made fun of. Uh, I went to this place, OMB Guns, and I shot. Fucking machine guns, handguns, like I shot everything. And then for the Daily Show, I went and I saw, I was, I drove a tank. I got to drive tanks. I was doing these chieftain tanks that I was driving. I got to run over two Saturns in a tank. Really? Yeah, it's fucking Whoa. awesome. Whoa. How do you drive a tank? Like, what do you, what do you, are you, yeah, is it's there levers. Gas? No, yeah, it's levers. And there's, uh-huh. uh, so, um, yeah, you can watch. And there was this hot chick that they had that was working there that was, uh, on it with me and at the same place I got to fire machine guns but I feel like when it comes to automatic weapons and the 50 caliber sniper buster and all that shit I don't understand why you need to own that I, I liked shooting it I'll go shoot that stuff again I really enjoyed it you're gonna see me shoot that 50 caliber thing right like there was a shockwave oh yeah like your your head flies back. You can watch my arms and the the skin on my arms ripple after I fucking shoot it because I, I I wore a sleeveless shirt to shoot it like got it and I fucking boom. Wow. And uh, I enjoyed it. I like shooting that shit. I want the shotgun to defend my house when everything goes to to hell. Zombie apocalypse. Yeah, zombie apocalypse. I need a shotgun. I want just somebody to hear. Right. Like that, get the fuck away from the door. You know. what? I have by my bed right now, hammers. A hammer? I have a hammer. Like Bill this makes fun of me. Like he thinks it's the craziest thing. Like you keep it by your bed. I keep a hammer under my bed. Like I'm gonna fucking get up and like close mm. contact. Like hammer somebody Whoa. to death. Yeah. 
And so, uh, that seems like you thought it through like really, really like on a surface level. I have a Magnum flashlight, and I can't. A fla- Magnum flashlight. Yeah, that always kills me that people think they're going to club somebody with a flashlight. No, no, I want to. I'm going to flashlight See, um, one hand so and you, blind them, and then fucking and run the in hammer. and hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Why not a real weapon? I want a real weapon. I got knives. I have all close contact. How come you never got a gun? Oh, my wife. So I can, oh, one of them. Yep. Hmm. I'll work. get one. I'm working on her. She's gets, she gets Ooh. in. Yeah, she knows. What you got to do is a false flag in the house. Mm-hmm. Hire some friends to break in. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> a false flag. Yeah. You're like the Dick Cheney of households. Oh, my God. So, um, yeah, I, I want the gun badly, but I feel like with an AK-47, and maybe you know people can write, like, only bad things have happened with people, you know, uh, sure there's responsible gun owners, but you look at Dylan Roof and you look at, you know, Columbine, you look at all these, you know, people getting shot up everywhere and Sandy Hook. Like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want my kids. I was walking along. Well, you have a safe. You put your guns in a safe. Why do you need an AK-47? You don't. Around? You don't need an AK-47. I'm saying have all the handguns. But the thing is, like, who should be able to decide who gets what? That's where it gets weird. Yeah. And what about um, silencers, too? Well, here's the thing. In in Europe, silencers are thought of as uh, a polite thing because we're over in America worried about shooting people. They're worrying about noise. So, like, if you have a, what they call a suppressor, they call a suppressor. Yeah. Like, if you're hunting, you would hunt with a suppressor on because you don't want to blow your fucking ears out, man. I'll put the links out to these two pieces that I did, uh, Daily Show Spots. I'll do the one, if you go to my thing that twitter uh i'll um i'll put it on i'll send them to you that when i drove the tank and fired all those guns and then i did a silencer piece as well and the guy was saying he wanted to protect kids ears with the silencers and that's what donald trump jr is saying kids and well, i'm the, worried the, the reality is though and this is true i know a lot of friends that are hunters that shot guns as kids and they're fucked up now their ears are a mess what it shouldn't they wear the yeah they should but they didn't when they were younger because they didn't know any better mm-hmm. see 20 years ago people didn't know that you were going to do permanent damage to your ear they didn't you didn't you never heard about it like these people just shot guns but i think also the uh, unfortunate reality now is that you could have somebody walking around undetected shooting fucking people shooting people in a college in a you community could, college yeah. i want, i did uh, i was on KCRW and walking around the Santa Monica campus, and I really did think, I'm like, okay, who's the shooter? Right. Like I was wondering, and that right. shouldn't be a thought. That <sighs> no, it shouldn't. Yeah, I mean, it's a mental health issue. Because, I mean, like, the only person that's capable of doing that is a person who's sick. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing that doesn't come up when you're talking about mass shootings is whenever you hear about it in the news, nobody makes the correlation, the inescapable correlation between psychoactive drugs and mass shootings because mm-hmm. there's a lot of fucking mass shooters, like almost all of them, that are either on pharmaceutical drugs like yeah. SSRIs, disassociative drugs, or they're getting off of them, antipsychotic drugs. There's so what can be done? Is there like a, there is no common ground? You start having people make we live in this country where you should be able to do whatever you want uh, and have whatever you want, but then who gets to decide who gets good question. what guns? Well, Texas is sort of taking the idea that just everybody has a gun. A well-armed society is a polite society. Mm-hmm. What about Ron White all of a sudden? Yeah, and then uh, teachers should have uh, 
guns in the classroom. And too. bulletproof helmets, full vests. Jesus. AK-47s right there. Yeah. Right there. Put down the chalk. <laughs> I don't know, man. It sucks. Yeah, it there's sucks no, that you have to think about there's this. There's no easy solution. Yeah. There's no well, way. it just... Every again, time one of those things happens, everybody buckles down and wants to take away guns and try to figure out legislation. And I just feel like the root of the problem is not the tools that people are using. It's the fact that someone's willing to use those tools. It's the fact that someone is willing to do that. The fact that those guns are more accessible is a, ge is a genuine issue. But I think we can all agree that no one came for the guns. Uh, Obama, everybody's like, Obama's coming for the guns. Well, do you know why? He because the NRA. Because the, the NRA is too strong. The lobby's too strong. They've, they've spent a shitload of money and continue to spend a shitload of money to make sure they protect the Second Amendment rights. Yeah, but so you're saying if they, well, if not for the NRA, that- 100%. They 100%. would have taken all the guns. They would have definitely done something similar to what Australia did. Australia essentially made gun ownership very, very, very difficult. They took away guns. They, they enacted very strict laws. And they had like one mass shooting a, a big, long time they ago. They had a big mass shooting a long time ago. That's the thing that they don't have is like these big mass shootings. Yeah. You know, when you see... But Australia has the same amount of people as California. And it's the size of the United States. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just I just saw a thing. It was a map comparisons that yeah. blow your mind. It's like it's the exact same size. Yeah, it's crazy. And people are spread, you know, spread. way spread out. And it's the same amount of people as Los Angeles, and it's in this giant ass fucking country. So when you think about being able to take people's guns in, in Australia, it make, it's different. The culture's different. The in, the idea of independence is different over there. We have a different attitude over here. Yeah, I just don't want to. Um yeah, you know, when you have little kids again, yeah, it's just your everything changes. You know, which like I don't ever want to worry about them growing up in a society where a teacher does have to think about wearing a fucking helmet. Of course, of course. I mean, nobody wants to think that. I don't know what the solution is, but the solution, look, getting the guns away from the people. There's more guns than there are human beings in America, and they're not they're not going to stop making guns. No, it's good business yeah Anything i don't think the guns are the problem i really don't i mean i support gun ownership i really do i just i don't, I don't think that's the issue i think the issue is look you, the, we saw in france and nice that some crazy fuck can take a car and kill 100 people by yeah. plowing over people yeah, and just start stabbing people too. get there, out of the car and just fucking start stabbing folks there's and, there's ways that people lose their fucking minds and do horrible things to people and the ways are not the things you have to take away you have to figure out a way and you i take don't take away all hammers no yeah, right yeah i don't know what the solution is but i don't think anybody does the no, idea obviously of taking not. all those guns but away what, i think what you're getting at with the mental health stuff is there i'm not opposed to there being a screening process and seeing if you have a history of violence of so, course yeah, yeah. and, and uh, if you are show up on a terrorist watch list and that's where i think the nra goes overboard it's like if you're on a fucking terrorist watch list who doesn't agree with that? Well, the only problem with that is who gets to decide who's on that terrorist watch list. Because there was people that were um, from uh, the Green Party that were put on terrorist watch lists after 9-11 because they were anti-war protesters. And they were put on no-fly lists. There was a lot of weird shit that happened where people were put on lists mm -hmm. because they pissed off the wrong people. And, you know, in 2001, it was way easier to do something like that than it is to do but it today. But then you go to buy a gun. And then they say, I'm sorry, you can't purchase this weapon because you're on uh, this right. list. And then you can go, go to a gun show. That's part of the problem. Yep. You go to a gun show and you can buy a, a gun far easier. In Kansas City. They're trying to tighten that down, though. Kansas, Kansas, you can go and people correct me if I'm wrong. Is it, 
did a show called This Place Sucks. What am I? And so uh, you go to Kansas, and then you can get a gun with no, you don't, you can just an ID, Kansas ID, and you can get it in maybe like five minutes, zero train. It's nothing. Just you get it right away. You don't have to have a background check? Nothing. Is so, that true? Yes. Was that true, like when you did in two thousand fourteen? When I did this piece, yeah. But you can look at. Can we? Hmm. Can we check? Yeah, that? gun laws, Kansas access. gun law, no background check, no background check. I'm pretty certain. So, what wouldn't people? You have to live guy, in Kansas. Listen, City? To this guy does with his grandma. He walks into this place, and he goes, uh, "I can't." He, the guy says, "I can't buy the gun," but she can, like that. And he buys these four guns or something, and he kills a bunch of people. So. Mm. Federal law requires federally licensed firearms dealers but not private sellers to initiate a background check on the purchase purchaser prior to sale of firearm. As a result, concealed weapons license holders in Kansas are exempt from the federal background check requirement. Yeah, it's crazy. No training, no background check. But Just hold on a second. Concealed white weapons license holders. Like, you have to have a concealed weapons license, which is difficult to acquire. Uh, let me see. It's not Do easy to get a concealed weapons license. Unless they have a different law there. Background checks in Kansas. That's concealed, but I think you but can But concealed get weapons it. is like the hardest thing to get is a concealed carry. Federal law provides states with the options of serving a state. Kansas has no law requiring firearms dealers to initiate background checks prior to transferring a firearm. As a result, in Kansas, firearms dealers must initiate the background check required by federal law by contacting the FBI directly. Kansas is not a point of contact state. Huh. Nice. So they have to contact the FBI. Federal think. law does not require dealers to conduct a background check if a firearm purchaser presents a state permit to purchase or possess firearms that meet certain certain conditions. So it seems like there's definitely some wiggle room. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, that's what I was talking about, these gun shows where you can just go gobble up a bunch of firearms yeah. and, AK, and then you can bring them into, that's what they just transport them across state lines. And <sighs> It's one of those things like many human issues where there's not a whole lot of like clear paths. It's like there's so many guns, you're never going to take them all away from people. And should you take them all away from them? Like if a guy like you has a gun, I don't feel like no, you're a no. danger or a threat unless you get in one of your goddamn tirades. <laughs> yeah, you, maybe, you might, you maybe might, I'm not the best example. You might shoot but, a hack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fucking stealing what? <laughs> <laughs> He's got a gun. So. Uh, did you hear that bit? Like, uh, not a bit, the video. Carlos Mencia was on uh, Joey Diaz's show saying they thought about bringing a gun around and going to the comedy store and shooting people and he was carrying a gun in his car. Like, no way. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, there, maybe you shouldn't have a gun. Yeah. yeah Jesus. That's why I start thinking about Ohio, which brings yeah. me back. And then I start thinking about, you know, I look at Redfin or look Ohio? at Trulia. I would go to Ohio. Oh, living out there, you living mean? Living in Ohio. Just Ohio's sort of weird. Checking out. I was in Ohio recently. It's weird. Really? Yeah. Everybody talks about how great it is. I think the resort is great. Oh, yeah. yeah well, we, we did an Airbnb out there in Ohio. I was like, yeah, I'll have to not come feeling back. It? Yeah. What about- um, Nice restaurants. <laughs> what about when you get out to like- uh, Montecito. Oh, that's fucking just- Beautiful. That's like 1%. Or that's like $12 million house territory. That's where yeah. that, that Saudi Arabian sheik has beautiful, a- Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful view. No, rich people found the good spots. That's they a good did. Spot. Yeah, they really did. Yeah. I like that Santa Barbara. I like that Santa mm, Inez. Yeah. I like to go up the coast. If everybody looks at this, you want to go look at uh, Cambria? 
Where's that? It's in the middle of California. It's just a coastal town. There's a place called Avila Beach. It's all that gets into like San Luis Obispo County. Ah. Right in the middle, people have it. It's a little bit too far to drive. It'll take like three and a half hours out of L.A., Little town, walk to the coffee place with the dogs. My buddy John Hackleman lives in San Luis Obispo. He's uh, Chuck Liddell's old um, uh, karate trainer. I went to uh, Count Polly with uh, Chuck Liddell. Did you really? I didn't know him or anything. I just knew it's like, oh, that fucking guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah that, what is this? Cambria. That's, that's Cambria. Cambria. Uh, that's pretty. Yeah. You just is that off right the 101? The yep. Yeah, that's pretty. It looks quiet. But uh, San Luis Obispo is fucking great. There's it's, no one there. It's just a college, and it's real quiet. There's a calm. Morro Bay. Is also another. Ooh. They got that big rock, and then you can just go fish. And mm. You can do a bunch of shit like that. So that's again, I'm, I am so high strung, and I do like you know feel like I'm prone to like I can't be walking around telling dads at my school to fuck off. You know? Do you like, do that? I told one guy to go fuck. I go, you're wow. a real fucking asshole. You know that? What happened? He was just a, re he's a fucking dick to my son. The dad was. The dad was. He was a basketball coach. And I saw him and I go, hey, you're a real asshole. You know that? Whoa. And, uh, because uh -huh. no dads talk to each other like that. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I called this guy an asshole. And I felt bad. Again, I feel fucking bad. I don't want to do it, but I did it. And he's a dick. And everybody knows he's a fucking dick. And, well, is he a coach? Hey, he was a coach at for a, a school. Years. Yeah, is he still there? Any, or is he done? I think he's done. Yeah, he's done. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people that can't. I mean, the stress of being a comic, right, is one kind of stress. Imagine the stress of dealing with hormonally active seventeen-year-olds every fucking year. New ones coming in, just chaos. These are much younger. Yeah, okay. this is fourteen. Like, no, not even that. This okay. is like being an asshole to an eleven-year-old. Oh well, he's a piece of shit. Then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of fucking stress and raising people and teaching kids and d dealing with the problems that kids present. You know, yeah. a lot of people that just, here's another thing that's going on today. People think they can have a kid and then have careers too. And everyone's has a career. The mom has a career. The dad has a career. Everybody has a career. And you wh when, are you, when are you watching the kid? Who's paying attention to the kid? I went to a party and I've talked about this in the podcast before. This one little kid was just running around hitting everybody and doing, the parents are inside drinking. They were in the party drinking. And the kid's out there with the other kids. And then finally the guy comes out and apologizes. I'm sorry. He's a good kid. I'm like, he's not a good kid. I'm like, he's hit three kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him what, he, what the kid did. He goes, he never did that. I go, I saw him do that. Just watched your son be an asshole. And the guy's like, I said, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to kill you. Yep. Like, do you understand? I want to grab your neck and choke the life out of you. Yeah. I'm containing myself, you yep. fucking cunt. Yeah, so I get in the pudnosis. Yeah. I, but I keep it cool. I keep it cool, Al Madrim. I know. I try. How do you do it? I don't know. Because I, I practice murder on a daily basis. Oh, my God. Like I just murder yeah. a punching bag or I run up hills. I get it out of my system. Bert just told me this story about you exercising such calm, uh, you and Tate, and that guy with his shirt off that was trying to get into your hotel room. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. You, and I would have fucking... I don't know what I would have done. I'm not gonna. You know, that's the other thing. It's like I would just probably. Well, that guy wound up being unconscious. Yeah, I mean, you, you, Tate put him to sleep. Right? Yeah, Ch Tate choked him unconscious, but Tate was nice to him. He could have taken his life. That guy was a real piece of shit. He was a big giant dude. He was like six foot six, and he was a bully. And he thought, you know, because he was so tall, he thought the people were scared of him. But, you know, he fucked with the wrong guy in Tate. First of all, a guy who's 
been arrested, been around bad people his whole life, been in numerous street fights, was a professional fighter, was on the ultimate fighter, was a black belt in jiu-jitsu. I mean, everything was wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and Tate was trying to be calm with the guy. And uh, the way Tate handled it, like he, they fought in a hotel lobby right in front of the elevator. And the guy was pounding on his door saying, you're in my fucking room. Like, the guy was a, just a cunt. And uh, Tate was like, nope, look, my key works here. It's definitely my room. And he shuts the door on me. He goes, hey, you fucking faggot. You think you can get away with shutting this fucking door? He goes, open this fucking door. I told you you're in my room. And then uh, we all went outside. It was me and Eddie Bravo and Tate. We're looking at this guy and we're looking at his friend and we're trying to figure out how we're going to do this. I'm like, this, this has to be dealt with. Like, this is not a guy that's going to go away. He was a big, drunk, dumb guy. And Tate decides... The way to handle it is, um, you know, there's a bunch of words being exchanged. So Tate decides he uh, he kicks the guy in a leg in the leg, and then he grabs him and pulls him on top of him. So the guy like literally has no idea like why so Tate he is doing buckles. this. He kicks his leg, grabs him, and pulls him on top of him and pulls him into what's called the guard, you know, like in jujitsu, mm -hmm. and then wraps him up in something called an omoplata, which is a shoulder lock. So he throws. I mean, this is all instantaneous kick pull whap, throws his shoulder over him then the security guards show up the security guards show up and they go hey 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 what the fuck is going on and I go relax I go everything's gonna be fine he's just gonna choke him to sleep and the guy the security guard goes Joe Rogan are you Joe Rogan holy shit man what are you doing here while I said this like he's just gonna choke him to sleep Tate goes all right I guess I'm gonna choke him to sleep now so <laughs> Tate, I mean this is all happening within seconds Tate sinks a rear naked choke on this guy and just squeezes him unconscious, gets off of him, doesn't hurt the guy at all, doesn't hit him. All he does is kick his leg out from under him, take him down, choke him unconscious. The guy, his friend, picks his friend up, and I go, get your fucking cunt friend and get sober him up and get him out of here. And he's lucky nothing happened. And he's like, I'm sorry, man. My friend's a piece of shit. I'm sorry. His friend picks his friend up. The guy's like delirious. They push him in an elevator. Elevator door closes. He disappears from life. Never see him again. That's it. It's the end of it. I take pictures with the fucking security guards. They're smiling. I go, it's fine. I go, he's a drunk asshole. Do you think we should call the cops? I go, no. I go, that guy's humiliated. I go, unless he comes back. If he comes back, he's, he's going to get fucked up. But right now, everything's fine. Don't call the cops. Yeah. And so they're laughing, and everyone's laughing. We took a couple pictures together, went back in the room, went and got some dinner, and we were laughing. <laughs> yeah, but when that dad is in your face at the party to exercise that calm uh is is that's again that's the thing that i struggle with when mike costa is on stage mm. and i'm being completely honest like i again this is how i feel it's just something that takes over and i'm like i can't help but say hey your son is hitting that guy like yeah. this is not cool this is not okay yeah Parents don't watch their kids, and then their kids are just complete assholes. Well, they go to parties, and they drink, and they leave the kids outside. And this parents, these particular parents, they don't watch the kid ever. They, this is like what they're famous for, apparently, in their group. They just don't watch this kid. They just they don't want to be parents. They became parents in their 40s. They didn't really plan it out. They, I don't know if the parents get along. I don't know. I don't know how. But the whole thing looks like a disaster, and the kid's a little monster. And they just are not, they're not disciplining him, paying attention. And like, he literally went out and talked to the kid and uh, there was some commotion going on where people complained about the kid hitting somebody. He talked to the kid and then he high-fived him. And then the kid went back to doing it again. 
I mean, literally, he went back inside to drink. The kid went back outside again. So at, at the end of the night, when this guy apologized to me, like it, it, the kid was doing it all night. I go, hey, man, your kid is really aggressive. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the kid. I go, your kid is really aggressive. He goes, no, he's a good kid. I go, no, look, he, he hit three people. I saw him hit people. I saw him push a kid and call him a loser. I go, he's wow. fucking six and he's doing this. He goes, that never happened. I'm like, <sighs> you know, I understand consequences. This is why I bite my tongue. I understand like the, the actual consequences of, of smacking this guy in his fucking mouth, which is what I wanted to do. Yeah. You know, of course I want, if there was no consequences to doing anything and I didn't think of him as a person, I didn't think of him as a guy who just never raised a kid before, hasn't really thought about it well, has a big career, probably busy all the time, wife's busy all the time, just not doing a good job, raising a little monster, you know? Drinking to try to drown out the fact. Who knows why? You know, drinking because he doesn't like being married, drinking because he doesn't like being a dad, drinking because he doesn't like being sober. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know the guy. But in that moment when he's looking at me and going, that never happened. I just, the, just the, the, the fucking sheer ignorance and incompetence and irresponsibility was just so infuriating. Because I watch my kids, like, a, I, like I watch them, I talk to them, I communicate with them. I know I didn't have a good childhood. So for me, it's important to be a good dad and spend as much time as I can communicating yeah, with them. Shit. Yeah. Explaining shit, talking to them, treating them like I'm not just their dad, but also I'm their friend and I care about them. My wife is a first grade teacher and she's becoming an educational therapist right now. And so I'm like living with just the master at consequences. Like if you don't eat in our house or like just you don't like broccoli nothing else is coming good. <laughs> like, good. like good. kitchen is closed and yeah. that's what people create monsters when they cater to them so much that's okay let me and that's where you like your kid only eats fucking rice i have a friend who and he keeps feeding his fucking kid sugar this kid just eats nothing but sugar all day because he, he doesn't eat he doesn't eat i go what do you mean he doesn't eat he's always eating cookies it's because he won't eat his food i gotta feed him something i go no dude you gotta tell him you can't eat the cookies you got food you got actual food this fucking kid is just eating nothing but candy i mean it's it's bananas he's always got a, sh a soda in his hand oh, and he's six he's fucking six and he's drinking a full coke like you go over the house, the kid has a root beer. We saw these kids. We were on a flight, and uh, saw these two parents sit in first class, and then come back and check. We didn't know what they was going on. They put the kid on. in coach. They put three next to each other in coach. These motherfuckers. I know, crazy, right? And then the, everybody else has to deal with their kid. They gave each of them iPads. Oh my god! Right, and then they waitre the waitress. The waitress. The stewardess comes by. And she looks at these three kids and looks around for who they're with. And uh, the one that How was... How old are the kids? I'm telling eight is the oldest one. Eight, <sighs> maybe six, and four, three, just in oh, a row. Oh, Jesus Christ. And she, the oldest one goes, three sprites. <laughs> three sprites. This is a red eye. This is an overnight flight. They're on iPads like just animals. Just go... <laughs> just like... <laughs> Don't stop, like, trying to win something, you know? Right. And then um, my wife, we're sort of laughing at first. But everybody in our uh, family wants to go to sleep. Everybody's, like, exhausted from being out all day. I've never – this is a while ago. I'll never be on this flight again. No red eyes for me. That's oh, ever, horrible. Horrible. Ruin they your fuck whole, you up for days. Two days afterwards, you're fucked. Yeah. Try to do anything in your power to avoid a red eye. Also try to do everything in your power to avoid um, – Fucking, uh, if you can fly nonstop, 
That's what we're doing. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. So they get in a fight after a while. The oh, kids no. start fighting because they're all hopped up on sugar and they've been staring <laughs> at the screen and fucking. So then they start fighting. And I think the mom or the dad hears or somebody has to tap them. They get up. And me and my wife are like, this is not okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Just not. Nothing was said. Because, again, we just want to right. mind our own business, ideally. Right. Again, ideally, everyone minds their own business. This is a new world, though. This world of electronic babysitters and the world of putting the kids in coach and you go into first class, like ignoring kids. And it's these career people. There's a lot of people that, look, they their career requires all their time. They justify it by going, look, someone's got to make the money in this household so we can keep up this lifestyle. And so they're out there fucking grinding all day. Yeah. And then the kids are just... What do I do? This is Who's raising me? Full circle to my dad passing away is that every single weekend, this is why I bought that FJ62 Land Cruiser, because every single weekend we went on a little family trip. And I looked at myself, and we go on family vacations and stuff, but the amount of time that my family really spent together, like a mom and a dad, like he would take us to Yosemite, he would take us up the coast to Mendocino, we'd go to Marin or Stinson Beach or, and all these places, even to Golden Gate Park, like he would just take us places, little adventures, you know? And so I feel like we need to, I get caught up in work, working because, you know, just nonstop. And I got to take a step back and really spend as much time as I possibly can. So after that happened, and this is June, this is almost a year ago, just really try to trim back. I go to every single volleyball game. I go to every practice I possibly can, you know, and just force yourself to say, this is not, it doesn't matter that much because you look at all these deathbed, that's what I started looking at, all these deathbed regrets. Those are a bunch Ooh. of lists that are out there. Jesus. Too much time spent at work. Yeah. Not enough time spent with people that I love. You know, and you look at all these things, and it's like, fuck it. I'm not having any of these regrets. So that's what I'm thinking. I start looking at the real estate and trying to look at getting away, you know, just really checking out. And that's why I'm trying to hustle and make as much money as I can. And the kids are out of the house. Where are you going to go? That's what I'm checking into. That's why I know a lot about Cambria. That's Big Sur. A Big Sur, one of those places I could go up there and you're you're away and just live on the coast and then be able to come back. Like if I get an acting gig, I love acting. I like I really enjoy it. Um, I love writing too. I was I luckily had some success recently as a comedy writer, and um, it's one of the CBS people. I was trying to match up with the Latino showrunner. And two years ago, they go, no, no, that's that's you. You're going to be that guy. And hmm. there aren't really any, but we're grooming you to be that. And I wrote two big scripts. And then uh, with that business background, I have the ability to sort of do that. I like I like working with uh, people, and I just think I could staff up and do all that shit. So I could see myself splitting my time, keeping my, a little house in L.A., and then having a place in Cambria or Santa Barbara and just fucking... Go back and forth. Santa Barbara's easy. It's only an hour. Yeah. Hour and ten. Just live know? on the beach and have, you know, yeah. a, a blue healer. Well, and also just being able to sit back and watch the ocean. Just calm, you, calm yourself, you know? And that's what, again, fucking Ari Shafir said that when he was walking on a beach and he needed to walk to a restaurant 40 minutes, that he had this feeling in his head that, oh, I need to be doing something right now. 
and then he needed to curb that and he needed to just watch the waves yeah that was it yeah not think about and that's what i have is uh the problem i have is i have a when you try to meditate people have said there's a river of twenty thousand thoughts mm-hmm. that you get just non-stop and i've been waking up every single night at two o'clock in the morning every night almost not every night but four or five nights a week why different reasons thinking different about thoughts stuff. just and then just thinking about stuff nonstop. well you see you're saying to me two different contradictory things you're saying that you want peace and you want calm and then you're saying you want to start running shows and then you're saying you, you want to start d- d- having like no, no. multiple careers i want to be able to work on come into town mm-hmm. do a gig right work you can't on, be a showrunner work on a thing for like so the show that I'm on is 10 episodes. Right. And we worked on that for five months. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to do nothing else. Right. But you know that when you work on a show, you're working 16-hour days. Like, if you want to be a showrunner for a successful show, the, the amount of time that's required to actually make something take off sure. is massive. And no, you have to manage a bunch of different people and do, expectations. and. But it's a, it's a portion of your year. Yeah. So it'd be like working seasonal work almost. It's like where you right. just that's I for me that's the ideal version is to act on a show that has an episode order and then go back to Santa Barbara. Mm. And then do nothing. It's not a bad idea. And then come back and then and be able to just control your own work is really what I want to do. You right. know, it's like I you need the financial freedom to be able to do that. And then those shows pay really well. So I'm just trying to map out, and I don't have the answer. I'm thinking, and this is certainly not something I'm doing right now, but, again, when you work seasonally, and then you can really take some time to just hang out and read on a deck and make dinner, and that's your go shop for an individual meal every day mm-hmm. or go and fish and do shit like that. I, that's what yeah, I you seem like you're longing for this um, idealistic view of peace and quiet. Mm-hmm. While pursuing chaos, yeah, <laughs> it's just, they're very contradictory. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Well, this is something I promised myself. It's like I was going to bust my ass until I was 50, and I'm 40. I'm about to turn 46, and then just take it as it comes. When realistically, I should just take it as it comes right now, and not. I'm, I I hustle really hard. You know, I have like mm. ten things going on. Yeah, it's a weird balancing act trying to figure out, figure out how to manage your life for ultimate happiness. And then sometimes like that the real ultimate happiness comes after you've had struggle. Like you only really appreciate sunlight if you get a lot of rain. Like mm-hmm. we don't appre- like I went to Prince of Wales Island in Alaska for 6 days once and uh, we were up there camping. It's fucking miserable, pouring rain every day. But when I came back to LA, god damn, I was happy. The sunlight felt so good. I mean, it felt, it's like the sunlight's out there right now. It doesn't feel like shit. I get in my car, God, it's hot. I drive off. I don't appreciate it. But when I came back from Alaska, I really fucking appreciated it. And I feel like some amount of the peace and quiet that we seek and we enjoy, you're only going to appreciate if you struggle. Like, you're only going to appreciate, like, real relaxation, feet up at the beach if you've been busting your ass. For me, what I think a tremendous amount of calm comes from is, and this is, I don't know, you can tell me, is just financial freedom. 
Like, I don't have a house payment hanging over my head, and I don't have all this stuff that I'm just worried about. And I, I, I tend to worry a lot about that stuff. That's why I work my ass off. Like, I yeah. really want to just, and I'm overcomplicating my life. But I am, and, and don't get me wrong, you see me, I'm like, I'm a happy guy. Uh, but I just, when you're waking up in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning, think about all the shit that you have to do. You have to pare some stuff down. Yeah, there's that for sure. When you're uh, financially free, it, it removes a gigantic burden. Remember my first development deal? That was the first thing I felt. I got a development deal like way back in the 90s. And the first thing that happened is they sent me this big fat check, and all of a sudden I felt lighter. Like like something like I took a backpack off filled with rocks. Like, oh. Like now I knew that I could pay my bills for mm -hmm. the for foreseeable future. I was going to be able to pay my bills for the next, like, more than a year if I yeah. wanted to. Do nothing. Sit back for a year and live the way I'm living. I'd have no problem paying my bills. And uh, it was a very tangible feeling like, okay, now that I have this momentum, I've got to keep this going because I don't ever want to go back to that feeling of not being able to pay my bills. Because that's the real struggle. The real struggle is like financial independence. Once you become financially independent, then there's levels to it. You know, like you want to have one of those Montecito houses or have a fucking private jet or you want to get crazier and crazier and crazier. You're just overly complicating yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's like the assistant thing. Exactly. That's because, so I feel like this level right here, so I'm living in the house that I want to live in. I'm not, we're, I'm never moving. Uh, we're good. To, in terms of the L.A., sort of raising my kid's house, like, uh, we're in a great little place, love it. I live in Pasadena. It's, like, and there's... Uh, you have wildlife in your yard. Yeah, you send me pictures of deer canyons. in your yard. Yeah, exactly. There's there's deer, all the coyotes, yeah. you know, and all kinds of... Shit. A bobcat jumped out behind me the other day. Jesus. Yeah, I was running... There's bears in, in Pasadena. Do yeah, you know that? They jump into people's pools. Only in those, those black neighborhoods. Oh. And so... Racist. Yes. Black bears, right. too. How weird. Yeah, totally. And so what they, um, I'm, I'm cool. I don't want, I don't need to fly private. I don't need to, I'm sure that's nice. I have no aspirations. I, again, I just want to live comfortably. But once you fly in first class, it's difficult to go sit by the bathroom in between two other people. Like, you know, so there's certain luxuries that I want to be able to afford, but Again, I just want to chill out, hang out in the backyard, have a drink with my wife, and fucking have people over and barbecue. Right. That's it. That's all well, I'm after. If that's you can totally be content doable. with that, that's that's very peaceful, and that's a great thing. And then also getting satisfaction out of creating stuff and making stuff and working at the same time. And yeah. even if it's shit that um, this guy that I bought this house from left me his table saw and all a bunch of wood. Like, <laughs> Is so he making furniture? What are you doing? That? Are you making furniture? I'm not doing anything with it. Are you thinking about doing something I'm with it? I'm thinking about, like, i got to use this stuff. Like, Do you know how to use a table saw? No. Well, learn. Don't cut your fucking fingers no, off. No, never. No, 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 no. <laughs> I was like, just no thumbs. <laughs> just <trying. laughs> no. Um, what are you going to make? Um, he left, like, a, some birdhouse stuff there. I just want to be the old man that, like, tinkers and makes shelves and stuff like that for people and... Uh, my 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 dad was an artist, and my uncle John is an artist, and um, you know put together the, these sculptures with all wood, and he was like a very skilled carpenter. So I always like looked at those guys, thinking I got to do this shit, and really? I just want to like yeah. There's a bunch of shit I like to do like that. Like I want to tinker. I want to fly fish. I fly mean, fishing is fun. See, I used to fly fish a lot. 
there's a casting thing in the Arroyo in Pasadena where there's a Arroyo casting club where it's all these old men just practicing. Where and do they fly fish in Pasadena? Is, is there a could, river there? No, there's a whole place where it's like they've... Um, it's just a body of water where they... It's all oh, just like a, like a little pond? Yeah. And oh, so then they go this. out, they take trips to places? Yeah, like, they'll go out and they'll do the Sierra. And, I was in Bozeman this summer, this uh, summer, Bozeman, Montana, sure. and we uh, we went by this uh, place where the, all these people were fly fishing, and it made me so excited. I'm like, God, I want to go back and do that. But it was weird because they catch and release, and I was like, okay, now you're weirding me out because you're just putting a hole in that fish's face, and then you're <laughs> yeah, letting them yeah. back. Like, this is kind of fucked up. My buddy, uh, Daily Show guy, just went to Russia to go fly fishing. That's yeah? It. He's super into it. And he bought a place in upstate New York that has a river right by it. and just oh, He's in wow. it all the time. That's what he goes up for. Well, if you can do, like, a place where you can catch the fish and eat it, goddamn, on the shore, if you have a little cast iron frying pan, make a little campfire and have some shore lunch— Oh, it's so delicious. See, for me, that is the sort of ultimate hanging out with my wife, having a glass of wine, doing that, reading, and then going to bed. But do you really want to do it, or do you like the romantic idea of doing it? We're going to fucking find out. <laughs> See, but right now, it's just a romantic idea oh, of doing totally. it. Oh, totally. Yeah, but I do like going. We've gone away in a couple of times. Like, um, my kids are just at the point where they went away for a sleepover, and this only happened one time. And me and my wife drove up into Altadena and heard about this hike that people do and took the dogs and went on this hike and we had a blast. Mm. And I know that if I can mix in the proper amount of work and the proper amount of just chilling out, I'll love it. I have three hammocks in my backyard that I don't use. I barely land them. Yeah, see, this is what I'm getting out of you. I'm, I'm getting that you're, you're thinking about, like, this romantic idea of relaxation and peace and quiet. But L Look at RVs also, constantly. Yeah. Look at vacation homes nonstop. But meanwhile, you're also planning on doing a bunch of shows and being a executive producer and a showrunner and a writer and a stand-up performer and you're acting and... Yeah, I got a ton of shit going on. And you're yelling at people. Yelling at people unnecessarily. <laughs> Talking about eventually getting to a cognitive therapist and yeah, eventually starting meditation. It's like you have this idea. Just do that it you, now. Yeah. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you should have already done it. Like you, 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 all these things you should have already done. So this is the problem with me is money. Okay, so the ATC I don't do for any money. I've put nothing but money in. So that's not about money at all. So that's starting like I started my stand-up career eventually – That'll be great. I know it will. It takes a lot of work, but that's just... What is the idea behind it? Okay. So we All took... Things Comedy, by the way. So this is... All Things Comedy ATC. is... Me and Bill came up with the idea that comedians should own and distribute all of their own content. When I first showed up in L.A., um, yeah, worked on a TV show with Cheech from Cheech and Chong, who told me to do two things. He goes, be nice to every single person you meet out in the public... Uh, every busboy is going to have the Cheech is an asshole story if you're a dick to anybody. So try to be as nice to as many people as you can. And then he goes, also, you want to own every single piece of content you ever put out there. Because and he goes, I owned all the movies and I owned all the albums. So every single day there's all this mailbox money and that we get. But as comedians, we're starting, everybody's starting all these podcasts. And this is 2010. So we do all the paperwork. We finally get the company. And we take a big chunk of the company and we say, okay, everyone that participates in this network, this is the board of directors, Tom Segura, Burt Kreischer, Ari Shafir, 
Dave Anthony, myself, Bill Burr. And we help guide this place in the right direction. So when a new comic wants to come on, all of us sort of go, do we want this person on? For example, John Reap and Sarah Tiana are going to start a podcast. I approached John Reap, called me, and I talked to Sarah and put them together. Felipe Esparza uh, saw that no Latinos are doing podcasts. And I know Felipe's fucking hilarious. And instead of like being all like the other Latino comedians or competitive, I was like, Felipe, you got to do a fucking podcast. And he started one called What's Up, Fool? It does great. And it's helped out his numbers and everything like that. So we all collectively own this company together that distributes our content. So this content starts with podcasts, but then eventually we're going to start our own studio. We are redoing our website right now. We are going to start selling our own TV shows. Bert did a cooking show called Something's Burning with fucking... Uh, Tom and Bill watching the most unsanitary chef you've ever seen in your entire <laughs> I heard fucking he was playing life. with his nose. He's touching his nose. While he was and cooking. And Bill's like, we fucking, you touch your nose one more time. I'm not going <laughs> to eat any of that shit. No one's going to eat that shit. And they're fucking yelling at each other while they're cooking. And Bert then just dumped a bunch of oil down the sink. And like, yeah. We're making that. And we shot for an hour. And Tom and Bill. And Bill were hunched over laughing. I was in the back just cracking up because we couldn't believe what I was watching. But What are you doing with it? That should be a show. And Is it, it on anything right now? So it's going to be on ATC.com or... We're going to sell it as an individual. But thing you did it a long a time buck. ago. No, we just shot it. it was this is like three couple weeks, months, three ago. weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, three weeks, not two weeks ago, like three, four weeks ago. And you just haven't edited it? They're like, editing it right now. Okay. They're just putting it together. So do you have like a, a group of editors and stuff? Like so we whole? partner with this company called Soapbox Films that has 15 editors, animators, all these people on staff. So when you come by, you'll see that we have two full stages. We have a green screen, white psych, you have color corrections, you know, uh, sound mixing studios. And then they gave us our podcast studio, two different uh, offices, and then other meeting rooms as part of, like, an investment in us. Wow. So, anyway, but everybody owns everything. We have ATC Records that, again, I haven't had the time. We're just staffing up right now because we took on a little bit of money. But You took on money? Yeah. You we, got investors? Yeah, we got investors. Somebody's uh, uh, given us a million bucks. Jesus. Yeah. So the idea behind it is you're kind of acting as a network. We're going to turn into our own network. It's going to be like United Artists. And when the shows sell, it's going to be full transparency. When, let's say, something's burning goes up and right. people start buying it, Bert is going to look at his back end and know exactly, you know, the money has to be recouped. And then, you know, the money is split. Interesting. He'll just get access. Like Bert will own that. If there's if there's a TV show that gets made out of that and it becomes popular, and is the idea behind it that there's strength in numbers and this? Yeah, we all we all really help each other out too. Like if, um, for example, I get the special coming out, everyone's going to help me get behind it. When Bert's special comes out, everybody just you know goes crazy. We right. all sort of do that anyway. Yeah, we all do that anyway. That's but what I'm saying. But this is a collection. This is like. Um, this is an association of comics working together to promote each other. And so, like, if you guys have a podcast on the All Things Comedy label, everyone knows, well, this is going to be pretty high quality because yeah, a bunch it's, of it's, comedians it's are... It's going to be a better show. We're going to rein that in a little bit, like you said. Uh, but 
for the most part, we have a lot of people contacting us, and it's all a community of our peers that we all really like. And, uh, Are you buddies. enjoying that, or is that bringing you extra stress? It brings me a little extra stress because I put some money in. It's right. definitely something I'm looking at um, getting to a point and empowering other people. I have some other comics coming in to help me work out on creative stuff. Like but is that. it making money, or is it... Oh, yeah, yeah. So we just... Um, you know, we haven't put out any of our TV shows yet. I mean, I hope to have TV shows on the air. That's just like Funny or Die mm-hmm. makes money off branded. Um, I got to have companies come to us and want scripts written, and I was able to give gigs to guys I knew on a daily show where they got paid like $45,000 to write a script for a corporation. Oh, wow. And all those types of gigs, like, we can serve as the agency for that. We can do, I can match Tom Papa up with a company so he can write their ad copy just to bring him extra side money. Like, we can uh, do branded content, integrated marketing, and all that shit, and have the comedians own the company that does that. Comedians are responsible for so much fucking content. Mm. It's books, it's TV shows, it's movies. It's just like you think about these comics are producing so much great shit that why shouldn't all the comics have a company that distributes all that stuff? Well, it's interesting because there's a bunch of groups that are coming along right now that are trying to capitalize on podcasting. And one of the things that's uh, fascinating, I had a conversation with uh, a friend of ours who's got a podcast and his agency or his management company that suck now are telling him they want a piece of the podcast. Fuck you. And for the longest time, they were telling him he was wasting his time doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. And they were saying, you need to worry about like put, getting a scripted show, getting a this and a that. And he was like, I really think that you know there's something in podcasts. So they, they were negative and they were criticizing his efforts and now they want a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And he's baffled and he doesn't know what to do. I'm like, you gotta leave them. No. Nope. Like, you gotta leave them. Absolutely not. Yeah, they're not doing anything yeah, for you. Yeah, haven't talked to me. Yeah. <laughs> I could just, uh, yeah, there's they're... no sense, and you're doing it. It's like, this is something, just like your stand-up career, that you really don't, now because of the technology, you don't need an intro to the establishment. When you're a young stand-up comedian, you need a management manager and an agent to usher you into the established mm-hmm. group of uh, decision-makers. Right. When you're a podcaster and your podcast becomes popular, it's you and a room and that microphone and the people that listen. And there's really, because you're putting out a good product, you don't need somebody to tell you, like, it's okay to do it or you're going to be on this network. Like, it, that's, it doesn't matter. You can do yeah. it by yourself. And that's another thing that I encourage all people to do. And this is a why I'm able to, like... Even though I, I am stressed out, I wake up in the middle of the night. I usually, there's a lot of contradictory shit going on, and I'm looking at vacation homes. I love it. I fucking love doing what I'm doing. I really do. Well, that's great. I love doing stand-up. I love the acting. Like, it's just I love it all. And to follow your bliss, you know, and to really, I was firing people. And like you said, you have to be up in the rain to appreciate the sunshine. It's like, that's where I was when I was working for somebody else, even though that somebody else was my parents. And so I got down into stand-up. I'm like, right, look at all this great shit. I like, right, even writing jokes for free for Tim Allen. Like, I didn't have to do that. Like, I love doing all this stuff. And so I'm really thrilled. Like, the people that we get to associate with and the people we get to meet... 
And then what happens when you do something you love, it all just sort of comes together. So I feel very fortunate that way that I get to do all this shit. And even though I need to say no and I need to pare it down, I'm still having a fucking blast. Well, it's good that you're having a blast, but... Uh my advice to you was just do all those things that you're talking about like especially do all those things as far as like meditation do all those things like whatever the cognitive therapy issue that you have to deal with just go do that yeah because you you talk about it too much i know yeah like you and i have had like 30 conversations about your temper yeah you know over like 10 years mm -hmm. like that's crazy mm -hmm. and nothing's changed it's less <laughs> Because you've gotten better. more and more aware of it, right? I'm totally aware of right. it. Right. Yeah. I've been so cool. There has not been an incident in a while. Except that other night with Steve-O. Well, that was a long time ago. Okay. That was a long the time The other night ago. we were talking about the person that got an applause break. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was that. last week. But that's just fucking me being uh, the asshole. Uh, like, I, I, I and, I, and again, also, you know me for a long time. I'm not. You know, it's like again, what's also you caring about comedy? You it's care about... me really caring too much about comedy. Yeah, it's me being again sacrificing a lot to do what I'm doing, and then seeing other people who are just trying to fucking take advantage. And, you know. Yeah, like I love the idea of all things comedy, um, but I don't want to do anything like that myself. It just seems to me like God, you're investing yourself in a whole bunch of other people's problems. You know, uh, what I've kind of done is form a network without having an actual network. Mm -hmm. Whereas all the people that I'm friends with, whether it's Tom or Joey or Duncan, I help them. I promote them just by just doing it. I don't yeah. want any connection. And I don't want any financial connection to it. You know, I don't even have a fucking contract with my manager. We, we've been together for so long. Like I don't either. Our contract came up and I go, I don't need a contract. Do you need a contract? He's like, no. Well, good. Shook hands. Gave him a hug. So we don't have to fucking nonsense, legal shit. I'm never leaving him. Been with him since I was an open micer. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. Well, you know, and that's also when we shot that, uh, I'll just say this Bert thing again, there's no contract. Beautiful. Just shake hands. Yeah. Like, that's like, again, I would die before I fucked anybody over. Like, yeah. I really would die. And so there's no contracts with us. It's like, we're going to make, put that out there. Whether it's for free or whatever, you know, just we're going to start making shit. And the most important thing is you're having a good time. Having a great time. That's like, the most important over thing. laughing, couldn't stop. Like, Isn't that like the best part about this whole thing is that you get a chance to hang out with comics, you get a chance to have a good time. Just, And the more you do that, the better stuff you put out. Mm -hmm. You know, the more you're in that vibe, in that group of humans, you know, just having a good time. It's like You're putting out those good vibes. You're getting them back. Everybody's producing good stuff. Again, I can't stress enough to people listening and just like finding that thing that you really like to do yeah. and, and doing it is so fucking important. I don't know what it is, but if you've had like something itching at you, because that's the thing with my parents' family business and even knowing I, I wanted, I knew I wanted to be a stand up comic forever. And it took me a while to figure it out. So that's why I come down here and I'm racing around, mm -hmm. like really trying to cram it all in or whatever is behind it. But I just should, I wish that's a regret I do have. I should just started earlier. You know, How old were you when you started standing? 28. Mm. Yeah, I was 21. Yeah, that's one of those things, though, man. I mean, Robert Schimmel started when he was 36. Start whenever you start. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. And I think oftentimes, whatever extra life that you have before you start is probably 
going to help you was when I started, I was a baby. You know, I didn't know shit about life. Yeah, when I did start, I was doing sales and shit like that. I was calm yeah. and cool. On you've stage. met life. Yeah. You know, you've met life. You've hung out with life. You've been there. You've, you know, you got down and nitty gritty. I went essentially like a couple of years out of high school. I became a comic, you know, and I was out there doing the life. I've never done anything but. You know, I've been up a bunch of shit along with it. But if there was ever like a question, someone said, oh, you have to quit everything except one thing. What's it going to be? I'm like, that's easy. Stand up. Everything else can go fuck itself. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. For sure. Because that's the thing. As a stand-up comic, we just always have this, these skills to go out, earn a living. For all Jay Leno's faults, he has said some pretty great stuff about There's a book called Comic Insights by Franklin Ajay, where he used to teach this at UCLA. And if you go through his interviews with Richard Jenny and Chris Rock and Jay Leno, and Jay Leno says it takes you seven years... It's like a law degree. It takes you seven years to get your law degree, and then it takes you another seven years to be a good lawyer. And then it takes you seven years to sort of figure out who you are as a comic, and then another another seven years to be a great comic. So around year 14, 15, you really start hitting your stride because you're great at it. You're getting better at it. And uh, to do that at around seven years, he goes, you can start making a living. You can start really, you can quit your day job, and really start making a fine living for your family. Because you're going to make at least like 70 to, and this is a long time ago, like 70 grand a year. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. great living. Just yeah. to, you could live. I met a bunch of comics on the road that's just living in Indiana. Fucking house costs $180,000, couple kids. Yeah. Totally. It can happy. be done. Totally. No question. And it's certainly better than doing something you don't want to do. Exactly. And for whatever, you know, the people that are listening to this and they're like, what is my thing? It's got to be something, man. It's got to be something. It might be making canoes. Who knows well, what the fuck it is? I was so miserable doing that family business. I, I started doing stained glass. Stained glass is cool. Yeah. My dad did it. And then I started doing, I was looking for a thing. I volunteered with the Big Brothers, Big Sisters. I was just out there like really, and this is again, when I'm single and had the extra time to do anything like this, but I'm out and I was just looking for it. And then I knew when if I turned 30 and I didn't try stand-up because it always had been itching at me and people always told me I, d I should do it, then I would never be able to live with myself. You know, so I forced myself to do it even though it was sort of, you know, uncomfortable. Well, this life is like this weird quick blip and it seems long when you're young. But as you get older, now I'm pushing 50. I'll be 50 this year. It just happens fast. It happens very fast. And if you're not doing what you want to do, it's not a fun time. It's not a good feeling. And you, we all know that person. We all know that one person that's not doing what they want to do, and it eats away at them all the time. Instead of the people that you know that are fulfilled, that are doing things that they enjoy, and they're working hard and they're pushing, but they get that good feeling out of it. They're actually pursuing what they love. They actually feel like they're making a difference in their life. They're actually creating something or, or, or accomplishing something. That's what you want to do, man. That's the key to getting those good brain chemicals, those good feelings. Having good people in your life, having good friends, being kind to people, enjoying your time in this life, and then doing that thing that is actually interesting to your personality and your mind. It's so important. And, um, yeah, taking a step away from work. Again, those deathbed lists. you got to look at these deathbed. I don't want to. No? Nope. Don't want to look at regret. I get it. Yeah, I get it. I work hard. I know what I'm doing. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm no perfect person by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't need to look at regret. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on that all the time. I'm, I'm trying to focus on positive things. I, I'm absolutely aware of the consequences. You know, I've, I've, I've contemplated it enough. It's just not, I think you could spend enough time focusing on negative shit, like what people should have done, and it can fuck with your head. You know? Yeah, I just don't want to look up when I'm 70 and yeah. so I can go, where don't. No, yeah. You won't. You won't. I'm not gonna. If I died tomorrow, I wouldn't. I'm good. You just gotta keep going. You just gotta keep enjoying it. You know, and who knows what this thing really even is. It's the weirdest thing about this life. It's like, what? It, what is it? I mean, we, we, we look at it in terms of this, like, uh, sort of solidified structure of uh, waking up with the alarm clock, getting in your car, driving to work. M- meanwhile, the, the entire time this is going on, you're a finite life form on a planet in an infinite universe. I mean, all of it is preposterous from the beginning to the end. All of it's ridiculous. And the more you look into it and the more you really contemplate the absolute just massive scale of this universe that we live in, the more it seems ridiculous. And the, the little things that are keeping you up at night and waking you up at 2 o'clock in the morning, the anxiety. Yeah, it's the, fucking insurance. It's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous crazy. shit. Ridiculous shit. It's just a matter of perspective. But I think it's also a matter of the human body. I think the human body is designed to have a certain amount of stress, a certain amount of worries. The reason why we survived is because we worried about predators or invaders and all these different things. Those things don't exist anymore. So we give ourselves issues. Yeah. We give ourselves problems. And I think the way to mitigate that is to exercise both in a in sense of like a physical sense, but also like almost in like a demonic exorcist, like get exercise all that stress out of your body. Like... Your your body does not want to be like this overflowing battery of stress and tension and energy. And when it is, it starts fucking with you to try to give you pressure and stress and give you like consequences for this for this anxiety. Yeah, I just have this insatiable drive that leads to that sort of debilitating stress and anxiety that I don't like. So I think it's like what we're talking about. This is actually very helpful because you know I don't I don't talk to anybody about this shit. I just talked to a doctor about it for the first Why time. Why are you talking I'm, to the whole world then? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Five million people are gonna listen to this. Jesus Christ! All right, I'm working on it, everybody. All right, I know I'm an absolute mess. If you listen this far, I'm you're I'm, definitely not an absolute mess. I'm working. You on like it. all of us have issues. Yeah. Everybody listening has issues. There's no, there's no perfect people. And I, I, I really at this doctor's appointment, I just looked at. And she, I was telling my wife is aware of all this, and close friends are, but. I talked to this doctor for the first time. I was like talking to a complete stranger about it, and all you people about it is very, very new. I don't, and people are always aware, and that you know everybody laughs at me, fucking stories of me telling people to go fuck off. <laughs> um, but, and they're funny. Like, well, you know why it's one of the reasons why it's funny yeah, is yeah. you're not violent. I mean, it's fucking. If you meet me, you by the way at the comedy store, and it's like I really am the fucking nicest guy. I am. I'm a very nice dude. But when pushed and pushed and pushed, I fucking lose my mind. Yeah. And when I see, like, uh, that there's comedy injustice going on, I'm like, fuck that asshole. Fuck that dick. Yeah, because it's important to you. It is. Yeah. I and get so, it. Well, this I, is a consequence of all your ambition. I mean, that's where all the stress is coming from. It's a consequence of you. And it's also one of the reasons why you've been so successful, that you're constantly pushing and making things happen and getting things done. 
But occasionally you're going to spin your wheels. I like to come back. <laughs> like a complete person? No, I'm not, but that's improved. not going to happen. But the next time I come back on this show, okay, you're going to like timeline. There's going to be a little timeline actually. Give me a timeline. Like oh, how? um, shit. I'm going on vacation, a long vacation. I used to flip out on vacation. How long you go on vacation for? I'm going to go away for ten days. Is that a long time? Oh. On day three, I start getting fidgety. Do you you start feeling like you have work to do? Yep. I should be doing work. Every single if you go on vacation in Los Angeles, you will get a call to be in a movie. You will get a call to do all this other shit, and um, that's always what happens to me. See, I've gotten past that because I don't do anything anymore. I just do podcast and stand up, and then ten times a year, and that's it. I work for the UFC. That's all I brought. I brought it down to 10 times a year. You're a very great spot. Your spot is the spot that a lot of us comics want to get to. I mean, let's be honest. Like, you are able to do those things because you have, you know, worked and you'd put in all of, you put in a lot of time to that. And I mean, you working on talk radio and then working on news radio. News radio, sorry. News radio, working on, um, Fear Factor. Fear Factor, you know, all the UFC stuff. Yeah. Like, and being a great comic has led to this. You, you're able to be independent. And that's fantastic. I hope to get. You definitely can. The Fear spot. Factor thing taught me a lot because it wasn't independent and I didn't like doing it. And it was a great job and it was a lot of money and I would definitely do it again. But it taught me the consequences of doing something that you don't really enjoy. It's not, you know, I don't have a passion for it. I love the people I worked with. And again, it was a great job. I'm not complaining. Like, it's like, woe is me. I had a, a TV gig that won 148 episodes. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy successful show, but it wasn't what I wanted it to do. No. So while I was doing it, it made me realize like, okay, this is not the good feeling. The good feeling is when you're doing things you want to do. So figure out a way when this is over, never do this again. And so when Fear Factor was over, of course I did it again. When it came back again, that they because they came up, they came with the money. It's so hard because you start thinking I'm gonna squirrel that money away, and then you know it's only three days a week. What's the big deal? You work four days, you know, you have four days off. You work yeah. three days. You know that guy who's on Big Bang? The you know the show Big Bang Theory. Mm -hmm. The six lead, the guy. If you guys know the guy with the bowl cut, his mm -hmm. name is like Simon Heldberg, I think. Um, he, I heard that he got his uh, his deal for syndication. They wrote him a check for eighty five million dollars. Whoa! Yeah, and uh, you start hearing about that. It's crazy. That's yep. a lot of cash. That's like not the two. There's the two guys and the main guys. Right. There's the Indian guy. Right. And then he's like the fifth or fourth guy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And you hear about all these shows and like backing up the money truck. There's like not a lot of those shows anymore, though. Yeah. That used to be like Friends, Seinfeld, Frasier, all these different shows. Yeah, all those shows, Cheers, those, yeah. all those shows. Like well, that. news radio went to syndication, but news radio was never the kind of commercial success that any of these other shows were. It actually became a success in syndication. When news radio was um, on television, this is when there was not a lot of shows on TV, by the way. There was one time where uh, my friend Lou Morton is one of the writers. He would, <laughs> Lou would wear a T-shirt that had the number that we were ranked for the week, uh, you know, like our, our, our ratings. And he came in with uh, number 88 on his shirt. I went, fuck, dude, we're 88th? He's like, 88th. 
It's like, God damn it, are we going to get canceled? And the only time we got canceled is when I didn't think we were going to get canceled, which is crazy. But um, I don't remember what my point was. No, it's just you're but, working on all these shows and the, you're not doing ideally what you want. Yeah. But then, you know, you have a, a wife and kids and the money is so good. I was thinking for the longest time that I wanted to be like an ethnic lab rat on a, one of those NCIS shows. <laughs> Where those I, are the worst. The guy just comes. They come in. The cops come in, and I go, "You guys aren't gonna like this." <laughs> those it's, are the worst. Your gigs. sperm came back. It's not to eat sperm. To eat sperm, you think it is? I always think of guys like David Caruso when I think of those shows, like yeah. where they just kind of sending it in. Yeah, they're just mailing it in. Do that thing with his glasses. phoning it in. Yeah, every time. Every Do you, time. you ever see that compilation of him? To just taking them off. Of just saying corny one-liners and pulling off his yep. glasses. Yeah. That's what happens to you. Sure. When you do one of those shows, those shows are just designed to keep grandma awake for another hour, to sell her Tide and Toyota trucks or whatever the fuck they're selling in the commercials. So, and then this brings me back to all things comedy. So ATC is going to allow just funny people to make their own shit and make it and right. sell it directly to the people. Without having to, you know, worry about this network rigmarole that we've all been piped into. Right. The network rigmarole that was like a real, there was there was that option at one point in time that you thought that there was going to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, like a syndication deal. And Dude, now that stuff is almost non-existent. They, they cut all those deals out. Yeah, I for good reason. awesome Ray Romano story about him getting his check. And he's sitting in one of these um, Daily Grill type places. It's like Beverly Hills lunch spots where all the agents go. Right. And they go, his agents say, this is a check that you need to you probably want to just go walk away, take a look, and privately just walk away. And he goes into the bathroom, and he goes in, and he opens up the check, and he looks at it, and he puts it back in. It's for you know, over $10 million type of thing. And uh, he washes his face, and he can't believe it, you know, because this is a guy that was right. working at a bank. And then he was walking back to the table, and the four old ladies were sitting there, and he, they go, excuse me? And he thinks, oh, everybody loves Raymond. These, these ladies say, can you get us some more bread, please, when you have a chance? And it sort of, fucking made him feel like oh okay fucking jesus like it this is crazy that this is happening these ladies have no idea who the fuck i am they think i'm a waiter they're asking me for more water or bread and it really took the air out of everything and made him laugh because he just got the fucking sweats like this is a crazy thing there is this pot of gold for some and when i started doing stand-up and I still have all these deals. That's what's been happening with CBS. And it's like I'm getting – I've had my own family sitcom script seven times. And So, so like are the development deals? They give you a, a – A deal? Slab of cash. Slab of cash and a script. Mm. And matched up with the showrunner. Showrunners. Last one is called Call Me Al. Then I wrote another one called Mr. Macho. Mr. I, Macho? It's a good idea. It's a good script. But why yeah. the name, though? Oh, it's uh, – Flip out. Hey, Mexicans making fun of me. Fucking losing oh. my mind. Hey, Mr. Macho. Hey, oh. what's up, bro? <laughs> exactly me. Uh, me living in Latino neighborhoods, stuff like that. Good stuff. It could be a show. And, do you want to uh, do that? 
Oh man, to write and have my own like single camera comedy on the air. Yeah. You like that as much as stand up? I love acting. I love writing and making shit. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Dun, dun. No, I really enjoy it. Like, it's, uh, I got to be in the writer's room on I'm, I'm Dying Up Here. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. And when does that come out? When that is that on June Showtime? June 4th on Showtime. Beautiful. Yeah, you're going to love it so much. I'm sure. And it's kind of loot. Look at oh, you. Yeah. Sexy bitch. Look at you in that goddamn amazing outfit and that beautiful mustache. Whoa. I love it. We should yeah. start dressing like that again. I totally feel like, like Why not? Look better. With beautiful lapels. All right, brother. So um, this Friday, um, Cinco de Mayo, which is tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Shrimp It Ain't Easy yeah. on Showtime. Is it going to be available online at all? Well, this is the thing. They gave me a code. So if you go to Showtime or show.com forward slash shrimpin, mm-hmm. and I put this up. So this is on my Twitter. You get a free 30 days of Showtime. Oh, okay. You Beautiful. can watch a special. You can watch it all on the app. And then that's the same is true for I'm Dying Up Here. I think I'm going to have another code for that. So you can really get two months of Showtime free out of this thing. If you just, I'll put the codes up and people can just grab the codes. You know what I'll do is I'll throw the codes in my um, Instagram and my Twitter, like the head um, bio or something. Okay. People can just grab them from there. Beautiful. Watch it. That's it. All right. Now, imagine, ladies and gentlemen, shrimping ain't easy. Tomorrow. Enjoy it. God damn it. Look at that. Back a new man. He'll be back a new man. Hopefully. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) Probably not. Or just more fun. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Dude, Jesus Christ. I seriously...